0: A lot has changed about my life. We literally saved the world.
1: But right now,
0: the
2: only job I want is being a dad. Scott Lang,
3: you want to get out of here. And I need to get out of here. Bring me what I want. What's that?
0: You cannot trust him. I don't care who this guy is. I just lost so much time. He's a monster who he thinks he's a god.
3: Everything you call a life, yeah. I will burn out of time. This guy Cassie.
0: We'll stop him together. You think you can beat me? Now?
4: Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum media rated PG-13, in theaters February 17th. Get tickets now. Episode 455.
0: There's already like 7 million podcasts. Talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Do, it it, good it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. It lets embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture culture spill over like a vulture carry over. Counterculture pushed over pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said? I pretty sure. That the only talent is the band that's singing this pop culture. Leftovers. Wanda Hello, this is Randall Park, and you are listening to Pop Culture Leftovers.
5: Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Joe. And And we're we're the Leftovers. leftovers. And yeah, uh, we are here today to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and, uh, right out of the gate, I am dropping the spoiler warning.
0: This is a pop culture leftovers spoiler warning. Today's forecast calls for spoilers straight in your dick hole. You have been warned, spoiler pussies.
5: Yeah, uh, spoiler warning right out of the gate because we're gonna be talking later about why there's a lot of questions surrounding this movie as to what the future of the MCU is, you know, the the Kang Dynasty. So many questions. And, and we're going to be talking later about exactly why was Kang exiled, uh, how this is all going to tie in with the Kang Dynasty, and why I think the Kang that we saw in this movie, Kang the Conqueror, is still alive and that we've already seen him back, possibly. So... We'll talk about that later. But first, let's introduce our guests on this episode. We've got Tristan Brown. Hey, I didn't
4: watch the movie, but I'm ready to talk DC news. Uh,
5: <laughs> Tristan. All right. We've also got <laughs> we've also got Handy Greg from Amazing Home Projects with Handy Greg. Welcome. Handy Hello. Greg. Thanks for having me. And we've got uh, Quentin Roberts from The Real Zodiac Podcast. Hey guys, can't wait to talk about Ant-Man. Yeah, we're going to be talking, that's what we're here for, at least three, four out of the five of us are, I don't know, <laughs> I'm not sure what's, I don't know where there was a wire cross with Tristan, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's jump into Ant-Man. Synopsis, Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hope's parents, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne and Lang's daughter, Cassie, go on a new adventure exploring the quantum realm that pushes their limits and pits them against Kang the Conqueror. This is the sequel to the uh, 2015 Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp from 2018. It's the 31st film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was directed by Peyton Reed, who directed the previous two. It's written by Jeff Loveness. Jeff Loveness, a writer for Rick and Morty. That makes sense. The movie felt a lot like Rick and Morty in a lot of ways. Uh, It stars Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, alongside Jonathan Majors, Catherine Newton, David Desmalkian, Kitty O'Brien, William Jackson Harper, Bill Murray, Michelle Pfeiffer, Corey Stoll, and Michael Douglas. Uh, the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum has a budget of, guys, I can't, I can't narrow it down. It's possibly 200 million. I've read anywhere from 135 million all the way up to 200. I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, it's got a runtime of 124 minutes and we are going to be talking about it. But before we rate the movie, uh, we have a contest for five digital copies of the movie Significant Other. Bring Significant Other home on digital. Micah Monroe and Jake Lacey star in this twisted sci-fi thriller as a young couple on a remote hiking trip who sense they may not be alone. Significant Other is on digital now. It's rated R from Paramount Pictures. I got five digital copies of the movie. And uh, all you have to do is I'm going to be sending out a Significant Other Facebook post and a Significant Other tweet on Twitter Retweet it, share it on Facebook, screenshot that you did. Send me the screenshot to contest at popcultureleftovers.com with the title Significant Other, and you'll be entered into the contest, and you could be a winner next week on the podcast. I'm going to be going over winners for Significant Other and these winners for Little Dixie on the next episode. So be sure to enter the contest. And now we're going to be rating... Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. If this is your first time listening, this is our rating system.
0: The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something,
2: they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party.
5: I'll go ahead and rate it first because uh, I already rated it on a the uh, the uh, reaction episode, and um, I'm sad to say my rating has not gone up nor down; it stayed the same. I am at a low tasted on this one, and I I feel like the movie does some things very well. Uh, number one being, I thought that uh, I thought Paul Rudd was great. I think Jonathan Majors is a great villain. Just fantastic as Kang. Um, I thought the third act was great. A lot of emotion from, from Scott Lang, that character at the end. I love the part where he's like, you know, we had a deal, Kang, you know, and I, that, and he's giant, man. I was just like, that, this is awesome. This is so cool. Um, I think everything that we need to set up the Kang dynasty in Secret Wars is here, but, like the multiverse itself, it's a little messy in this movie, and um, but I did like it, I didn't hate it. Um, I do want to read this. This is kind of sums up a little how I feel about this movie. There was a uh, a rating that I had read, a review quote that I had read on Rotten Tomatoes from uh, Sean Burns from North Shore Movies. He said, These days. The world's largest entertainment franchise is capable only of churning out advertisements for itself. And that really hit me, guys. That And I hate to say this. I hate to be that guy. But, you know, there was some news this week that Kevin Feige says they're going to kind of, you know, put the brakes on coming out with so much. In such a short amount of time, and I feel like there has been an overload of Marvel. I have felt a little bit of the Marvel fatigue, something I never thought I would ever feel. It just doesn't feel as special. And I think that they need to kind of slow down and put a little bit more thought into what they're doing here. I, you know, I go back and I, I can watch, you know, Civil War and, and other movies that they've done in the past and they just had more of an impact. You know, Shang-Chi had a huge impact for me. And most recently, Black Panther Wakanda Forever had a huge impact on me. This movie just kind of missed the mark, sadly. I think it sets up everything. Everything it needs to set up, it sets up. I just don't think it did it well. I still think the multiverse saga is really messy. That's my biggest problem here. Um, so I'm still at a low taste it, but I want to hear what you guys thought of the movie. I'm gonna move on to uh, Joe. This is your first official movie review as a leftover. I want to know what you thought yeah. about Ant Man and the Lost Quantum Mania Man.
1: Yeah, after after hearing your reaction episode and hearing uh, you and Connor talk about it, I, I went into this with with not the highest expectations, and I was also watching. The Rotten Tomatoes score, which I know isn't the best indicator of movies, but still, it's a number. It's there. And just watching that number steadily drop all week. And then Thursday rolled around. And I was planning on seeing this on Thursday, but where I live in Iowa, we got hit with a blizzard. So I had to push off till Saturday morning. And so then I'm seeing this huge discrepancy between the audience score and the, the critic score on there. And it's seeming like you know, critics not liking it near as much. Audience was digging it a lot more and so for me, it was just a crapshoot going in. What am I going to feel about this? And the the other Ant-Man movies are very middle of the pack for me. They're both just in like the taste it range. I enjoy a good heist movie and I like the type of humor that is in the Ant-Man movies, but there wasn't anything in them that, that really blew me away. And so I went into this one with without any expectations. And I think that might have been the best case because – I actually had a lot of fun with this movie. It's it's not a perfect movie. I didn't like every character, not every joke hit for me. But I've been teetering back and forth since watching this between a taste it and a high taste it. And I think for right now I'm settling on a high taste it because I did like this better than the other Ant-Man movies. And the reason that I think I liked it more... It's so markedly different from the other Ant-Man movies, just with the setting in this. and in, in the quantum realm and the way they did it, I also saw this in 3D, and so I thought the 3D worked pretty well in the quantum realm. And uh, the some of the biggest stuff with this, MODOK, for me, I have very mixed feelings about MODOK. I think that when his mask is down, it's totally awesome. When his mask is up, it's some weird borderline uncanny valley stuff but then i spent a while in a google search just looking at other pictures from the comics of modok and it's like well i don't really know how you do this in live action i don't know if this is the way they did it but they just the look was silly enough and then the character had enough silliness to it and i wasn't really married to it like like the direction of silly they went in love and thunder i was so close to that source material with the gore god butcher story arc to where it it kind of offended me but in this one i wasn't tethered to anything so i just kind of went with the parts that was silly i really enjoyed uh jonathan majors as kang the conqueror like he absolutely blew me away he sold every part of that performance to me and i'm so excited at what this is setting up with us getting to see all these different variant versions of him in different movies and like like you were um kind of hinting at earlier we might even see the same one again who knows um look forward to talking about that later but uh yeah this movie was a lot more fun than i than i expected the uh the the dynamic between uh you know scott lang and and his daughter and then with the the pym van dyne family the way that this is extended into this or the way that this like extended family kind of works together now is all these different parts that have come together and it felt really genuine to me that they really were a family and that the reasonings that people were doing things felt natural. I really liked, liked seeing grandpa Hank Pym. I think this might've been my favorite version. I mean, I always loved seeing Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. I think he's very good at playing it and seeing him in this grandfatherly role with Cassie was really good. Even though I think for the majority of this movie, he was shortchanged. But I did love his his scene in the third act where he comes in with, with his army of ants. That was really badass. Um, I didn't have any issues with the pacing in this movie. I liked how it kind of hit the ground running, established the world they were in, and they really didn't mess in mess around and waste any time jumping right into the quantum realm. And so for me, I mean, there really was quite a bit of quantum mania in this. Uh, we have to see all these different denizens of that realm. Um, I do agree with what you were saying on the uh, – Uh, The reaction podcast that you didn't feel very connected to any of these new characters. I didn't feel super connected to them, but I didn't dislike them either. Um, But really, the third act of this movie is is really what does it for me. And also the chemistry between Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer. All those scenes were golden. Um, Look forward to seeing this movie again. But for right now, it's I feel fairly confident that this is a high taste it for me.
5: See, that's what I need to do when I watch these movies early. I just temper everyone's expectations. And then they go in and they love the, fu- the fucking
1: thing. So. <laughs> I definitely didn't go into it like overhyped being like, this is going to be the best fucking thing ever. And right. it, in the end of the day, it's, it's another Ant-Man movie. It's not super consequential. It's just kind of a fun popcorn movie. And this one is very different feeling from the others. And, and I'll give it a nod for that. I think it, I think it's got, I, I think it's, I, th- I think for what it
5: is, I think it, what it does, it sets things up. I just don't know if, I just think the multiverse saga is so messy with the, with the Loki of it all, with the incursions being brought in with the multiverse of madness. I think you have to really be savvy as a viewer to try to follow everything through all these different forms of media. And then it's just, it's a lot. Um, Modoc. I think that they should have went with – I don't think they should have had the Corey Stoll connection. I think even the movie wasn't confident. So they give you the flashbacks of Darren within the movie.
1: Which Yeah, yeah, they laid, laid some heavy breadcrumbs leading up to that reveal. Maybe Modoc should have just been a character
5: down there or just leave him out of the movie completely. I feel like the reason that they put him in there was like we want a villain to give off these comedic beats – Kang is not going to be that villain for us. We're not going to make him goofy, and I appreciated yeah. that. So they wanted to have another villain. They wanted to tie it in with the other Ant-Man movies, so they went with Corey Stahl. It works, and it doesn't work for me. Um, the look doesn't work. Um, I guess the jokes about him being a dick were somewhat funny, but yeah, we'll get into everything else. I want to hear what the rest of you guys thought. Greg, what did you think of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania?
6: Yeah. So one of the things that I really thought about as I was watching the movie is just this script had a lot of problems. So let's start with Scott Lang's arc, which is kind of based on this idea that since he fought Thanos, he's kind of not being as much of a hero as everyone wants him to be. They want him to be reengaged. And I kind of didn't buy that whole arc. I'm sitting and watching the beginning of the movie and his whole family sitting around a table shitting on him because he took a break after three years of you know, defeating Thanos, I it just I, I had a real problem with that whole idea. And it made a character like Cassie just seem like freaking obnoxious. I was rooting for Cassie to die through the whole movie. I absolutely hated <laughs> Cassie Lang. Um, now, part of part of why I think I hated Cassie and I, I try to get this out of my head, but they did the prior actor for Cassie Lang really dirty with that recast of Catherine Newton. I don't know if you know this, but she found out she found out when they announced they were casting, casting Catherine Newton, that she didn't have the job. But let me, let me put that aside again. Um, This movie felt very Disney. And I don't mean that as a compliment. Um, It ended with the Disney ending. I've seen a million times where the merry band of misfits just bum rushes the villain and somehow defeats him. Um, they had, again, just in terms of Cassie Lang, the sort of snarky teen that knows so much more than all the adults do in the movie to kind of resonate with that YA audience. And I just thought she was mostly obnoxious. Um, I thought the script lacked humor. Actually, the don't be a dick speech was the only laugh my audience got at all through the entire film when I saw it. Um, I thought Modoc was awful. Um, and I like Modoc from the comics, but I just thought he looked terrible. I understand that Modoc is kind of a manic character from time to time, but his turn at the end of the movie made no sense whatsoever and was totally unearned. Um, and I really love Jonathan Major's performance, but I should have left the movie thinking, how will the Avengers take Kang? And instead I'm thinking, how will Kang take on the Avengers? Because at the end of the day, they're talking about him having this 31st century tech and it didn't look any more advanced than Robert Downey's suit in the last end game movie. Like, I, I just don't know why Kang is this. I get that there's a million of them and he's infinite, but let's be honest. They whooped his ass once the force field was down. So I wasn't necessarily convinced that Kang is that much of a threat at this point. Um, I kind of left with the same feeling you had, Brian. I, I mean, I'm at the point where I think it's more fun to theorize about what's coming next than to actually sit and enjoy the movie. It was fine. It was nothing wrong with it, but I'm going to probably rate it as a low taste it. And overall, my enthusiasm for the MCU is probably at the lowest point it's been since the first Iron Man movie.
5: Wow. Wow. Um Greg, I, a question for you. You mentioned, uh, you know, the third act when the ants come in, save the day. Do you think that they should have held on that held on to the do, would it have helped if they would have held on to the ants until like the very end, like us not knowing because we knew that the ants were there earlier? Do you see what I'm saying? Pim Hank Pym showed us the ants and how they had gotten advanced like they went through like a pocket of the quantum realm that instead of uh you know time advancing the way that it normally would like they were able to go into this pocket of the quantum realm and they and it's like they had been there for thousands of years and built the tech up and the civilization do you think that should have been saved at the end because like i felt like we all knew that they were going to eventually come in there and bum rush kang city i don't know i'm just curious
6: it feel it felt like a fun idea, but super contrived. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just, again, it just felt so Disney. It was like the fifth time in the movie that at the moment of defeat, some random thing comes out of nowhere and saves them. I, I don't know. I just wasn't mm. into it at all. I, I thought the ants were cool, but you could sort of see that that was coming at some, you were just waiting for those ants to come back at some point. Yeah. It's a fun, very Rick and Morty idea, but I don't know that that earns what what is a very like I felt like I was watching the Dalmatians attack Cruella Deville at the end of (laughs) it's like the end of every freaking it's the end of every goddamn Disney movie like this band of like when the furniture beats the shit out of Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like this this wacky loony band of misfits gets together and just bum rushes the villain and uh, like against all odds like and I, I just felt like that's what I was watching. And it's supposed to be the next fucking Thanos. Like, I, again, and I've read comics since 1990. I'm very familiar with Kang. But yeah. They literally whooped his ass. A bunch of fucking misfit aliens. He killed one dude with a fucking eye on his head and that was it
5: maybe you empower the people of the quantum realm like giant size them and then we get to see that guy with that huge head that laser blast fire whatever guy just kind of like go big and start blasting stuff maybe empower the people the quantum realm instead of having the ants save the day i don't know what i don't know i really don't know or
6: have have kang defeat them and kill a bunch of them yeah and then when we go into the next avengers movie we're like oh my god how is thor going to take on kang I'm here like Ant-Man fucking shucked and jived and boxed Kang's ass. Like <sighs> do you know what
5: I mean? It didn't we say ridiculous. this? Didn't we say this in a previous episodes we were like this needs to be like the Empire strikes back.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And somebody who's decent at hand-to-hand combat at this point can kick Kang's ass. I mean, that's all you need.
1: <sighs>
6: Break his suit and then start punching him in the face. He's done.
1: Wow. I, I, I don't think you can take an Ant Man movie and make it Empire Strikes Back, though. I like the idea, but just looking at the—I mean, the, just the tone would be so drastically different from what Ant Man movies are. But you know, maybe that's the risk that you, you did it. I mean, they them take—they did it in Infinity War, right? I mean, yeah, but that's a big group movie that we are expecting something like that to happen.
5: I—I I suppose we we know he's coming back in the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. I mean, the biggest threat in this movie would be. Kang wins, leaves Ant-Man and Hope Van Dyne stranded in the quantum realm, the family stranded in the quantum realm, and then we're going into the next movie. I, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess we could just go with what they've been doing and have Ant-Man. I mean, we can say Ant-Man won, but in the end, we know that, you know, Kang's still a threat. The Kang dynasty's still there. I don't know. Well, let's talk about it more. Let's, I want to hear what everybody else thought about it. Um, Quentin, let's go with you, man. What did you think about uh the movie? How are you rating it?
2: Yeah, um the big thing is I'm definitely gonna be siding with you and Greg um towards this film. I'm also giving it a low taste it. And uh opposite of Greg, I didn't grow up reading comics in any way, but I was super excited because I love Jonathan Majors, um, that I kind of dug a little deep and read some Kang comics. Uh, to get ready for this for this movie. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that I am just like th- the all who knows Kang. But like seeing what we saw in this film with Jonathan Majors, I was like, man, like they really short shift or uh, short changes, man. Like he is a badass in the in the comics, especially Kang the Conqueror for the one that uh, we're talking about. Um, I like I said, I mean, Greg literally said everything that I was thinking. Although I wouldn't kill Cassie, like I'm not, you know, that fucked up. But I would, uh, <laughs> I would definitely say that um, there was a lot of liberties here that definitely felt Disneyfied. And the biggest one was the third act uh, for me as well. Seeing Kang get overrun by ants was just not on my bingo card of what I wanted to see happen to him in this movie. And so yeah I kind of left thinking like if this is who we're getting for Kane the Conqueror like I just I don't feel that we're getting uh we're getting like a very powerful foe for the Avengers if we're basing it off of this film so um I know we'll talk about it more but yeah like I said I'm I'm agreeing with you guys in and the way that you guys were discussing just how this film definitely had some problems and especially uh with with the script, I felt that it was just very, it was, it was lackluster to what we've had before. So just not a good beginning for phase five, in my opinion.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think we're definitely in the minority when it comes to the audience though. I don't know. I, uh, well, I guess we can, t- we'll talk about that more. I, I Tristan, yeah. what's, what's your rating, man? Where, where are you at? Yeah. Give us your thoughts on this movie.
4: Okay, so um, so Peyton Reed had mentioned that he wanted to, like, make an Avengers level movie with this. And it feels like they they allowed him to do that, but they didn't trust that series to have any kind of consequences to the MCU. So it's like, let's put an Avenger film in here, but let's make sure that it's safe enough to not affect anything. Um, And with that being said, you know, I went into the movie with tempered expectations like Joe um especially after hearing your review brian and you know i just i expected it to not be the greatest and one thing i can say is that the, the cast in the movie is great um i think paul ruggs um scott lang is a valuable character in the mcu because he's so different from any other character he's a hero um he's naive but at the same time he's intelligent and capable um, there's also Michelle Piper, who I thought was doing a good job. She wasn't phoned at in, in, in at all. She was, you know, really dedicated to the character. I thought she was the real wasp of this movie, um, since the, you know, the other wasp was pretty much a a, a sidekick or or a supporting character to almost everyone else, it seemed. Um Jonathan Majors, I thought was even more brilliant in this role than I expected. Um, I think he's the strongest when he's subtle and I wish that they lean more into that aspect of him because when he's having just these conversations with Janet in the beginning, um, when he meets her and even when he's just negotiating with Scott, he's a hundred times more menacing than anything else. And, And so I would say that, you know, I hope in the future that they really lean into that aspect of him rather than, you know, the more, um, uh, outrageous, out of control version. Um, I think that this movie was the best demonstration of Scott Lang's uh, powers. I liked how he uh, incorporated the growing and shrinking into his fight, his fighting style. Um, the humor balance was good. It wasn't like an overly saturated, um, you know, jokey film like Thor: Love and Thunder or anything like that. I thought that there was a good balance of humor and action. Um, I love some of the deep sci-fi al- elements of it, like the whatever it was called The Room of Possibilities or whatever. I love I love that sequence. Um the Rebels, um, this is my comments now. The the Rebels I felt seemed like they're an entirely different movie. Like because than some of the other actors. I thought that some of the Rebels were too stylized and I didn't believe them to be rebels that were fighting for freedom. They just seemed like they were just cosplayers that were just made up for for photo shoots. <laughs> and uh <laughs> I could um, Another um, constr- uh, con I had was you could feel the constraint of the volume. Like, I really wish that Marvel would shoot more on location, um, especially after seeing something like Avatar 2 um, and just seeing like how special effects can create an entirely believable alien world. And, and I didn't once believe that they were in a real location here. I never thought that they were actually, you know, in the quantum realm. It always felt like they're on a stage with some, you know, really good special effects. But it just felt like it was confined and we're meant to believe that the quantum realm is is this like really big universe but it felt like a neighborhood <laughs> it felt like it was like a, a small town or, or like you know at most a city and it didn't seem like it was like this infinitely um massive uh space you know everyone that was that meant anything was in the was in the, the, the convenient location the same convenient location everyone knew janet I mean, it was basically like a small town. (laughs) And um, I felt that the story was just way too safe. We have five characters, five main characters who go into the quantum realm and then they they, they get out of it unscathed, (laughs) like all five of them. (laughs) And there was a moment I felt in the script where a good storyteller would say, "Okay, this is where you kill Scott or, or this is where he gets stranded or something dire happens. But they just pivoted and just went the safe Disney route, like Greg was saying. And um, I, feel, I felt that the um, Kang power was undermined in the end. I felt like they really built him up really well. And in the very end, I felt like his power was was not demonstrated in its best light. It was very inconsistent, too. Like, sometimes he could just obliterate someone. But, you know, if he shot a main character, they would just fall on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... That was like one of my issues. And and um, why doesn't Kang have PIM technology like he's centuries ahead? So like, why does he not have this one simple thing? Oh, I don't want to say simple, but why does he not have this technology, which I think would have been, you know, carried over into his century? Maybe there's a, an explanation for that. Uh, yeah.
5: Um, uh, seriously, uh, we find out that in this movie that uh, that Hope Van Dyne is using She's going to be using PIM particles to help real world problems. And this guy comes from the 31st century. You think that that technology would be made available to him?
4: Yeah, it's like us saying, like, oh, damn, I really need that butter churn, you know? It's like, it's like it makes no fucking sense. Yeah. But um, but yeah, overall, it's like, like I, I felt like, you know, just going in with the tempered expectations and, and after seeing it a second time, you know, I, I definitely just resolved that this is not going to be a movie that's going to change the Marvel landscape. Um, it's fun and I, I enjoyed, I want to say most of it, but not to the point where I can scream at someone to say, Hey, you got to see this. But like, I still, like, I don't want my money back or anything like that. So for me, it's a middle of the road taste to-
5: yeah, that's a, that's a respectable rating. I, I honestly, I, I, for me giving it a low taste it, it's just based on kind of like the hype behind this movie and the fact that we're getting Kang, who's like the next big, like Thanos level guy. And I, I, yeah, they did him dirty, guys. I feel like they did him dirty. Do I think he's dead? No, we'll get into that later. But, um, yeah, we're kind of, uh, low taste it, taste it and a high taste it. So. That's kind of where we are with the movie. Let, let's break this down a little bit more. Um, Greg, you weren't a fan of Cassie. Uh, I mean, the whole Disneyfication of the movie, do you think, like, do you think that they, they, they were like, I, the thing that with her character was she was worried about the people in San Francisco and the people that after the blip were left. You know, now that they've come back, they they're unhoused and and she's out there demonstrating and in, in, in a peaceful protest, her group gets gassed, she gets sent to jail and like they carry that over into the quantum realm where she's like part of like this liberation, liberating the rebels and she gives the big speech and everything. And and um I'm guessing that didn't work for you. <sighs>
6: it did, i mean and i think we're supposed to also feel like hey dad was missing for a few different for a few years and that it has put like a strain on their relationship that they're trying to work through but it just felt disingenuous i mean that's just the best way i could describe it i mean you know congratulations on your protest but dad defeated thanos again it did, like i just really struggled with that whole hook of their relationship
5: i mean the biggest strained relationship should be Janet and Hope. I mean, she was gone for 30 years. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I guess they, they do play on that a little bit here where they don't really know about her time in the quantum realm and what she did. But I feel like there's been like nothing lost between the two, in my opinion. I, you know, and it feels like, is it because Cassie's so young and, and, and Scott was gone during those formative years? Because no, that's not even the case because Hope was seri- like Hope is very young, younger. I, I, I'd say, but yeah, Cassie's age when when uh, when
1: she lost Janet, her mother. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for me, that that worked, though, that that this is Cassie's mindset in the real world is that she has access to this tech. You know, Grandpa Hank Pym is helping her with these projects she's got a suit. It must've happened with his blessing. And so she's the sort of person to where if she has this power, she wants to use it to help the world. And then when she gets sucked into the quantum realm and, and her and her dad accidentally lead, um, uh, Kang's forces right to this encampment where all the rebels are, where gen people are. Um, you know, Cassie genuinely feels like this is her fault that it happened. so I think that that's what leads to her, being in this role where, you know, she busts out Jen Tora and then she wasn't planning on being the one to deliver the message to have everybody rise up. It just worked out that way. And so I, I thought for me it worked out it, at least within the constraints of the writing of this movie, it, it made sense for her character. That was a a sensible arc to me.
5: Yeah. Um I guess we can talk about uh the the device that she uses to, to get into the quantum realm, her and her grandfather make this, this device that can basically send a signal to the quantum realm and then map it out. And then that's what we find out in the movie that Darren Cross as Modoc. Is the one that picks up the signal. So he's the one that brings them into the quantum realm. I thought the quantum realm looked fine. I, I am with Tristan. It did look too much like a set, you know, like the volume, like a, like they're on a stage as opposed to, you know, um, avatar, things like that, where it feels like a really open world. Um, I guess we did get to see. I don't know. There's like that one scene with Janet when they're on the outskirts and it kind of looks like it's a Mad Max Fury Road type quantum realm. And and oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. When all those people are come rolling at her.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
7: Yeah.
1: Before they get that big flying like manta ray type things. I thought that whole exchange was really fun that she had like a little like knife fight greeting with that guy in the way that he was able to pull the blade through his body and have it pop right back out in his hand again i thought that was cool i've never seen a character do something like that before
5: those characters didn't show back up like they were just kind of like there no they were again they
1: showed up for the final battle did they i couldn't recognize no, anybody they were, they were in the yeah cuz the vanity was there okay yes yeah yeah those those big flying things were in the final battle yeah. It was cool
2: because it reminded me of the first Ant-Man when uh, he fights uh, that that big guy in the beginning of the film, Scott does. Like, it, they had that fake fight for, like, initiation to leave or whatever. Oh,
5: okay. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, in the jail. Yeah. <laughs> he sucker punches the guy and then the guy punches him back. Some of the, the Rick and
5: Morty of it all, like – The broccoli guy just was like that. Just felt like it was straight out of like a Rick and Morty episode.
1: (laughs) I thought it was funny when Hank saw it though, because he's like talking about something else that it just derails him. He's like, "Holy (laughs) shit, that guy looks like broccoli!" And then he goes and hits on Hope later at the bar. I thought that was
4: funny. (laughs) (laughs) She just like, "Oh my god, really?" There's some lucky moments like that that really worked for me, but um. But just sometimes it just got a little too ridiculous. And and like I felt like Baskin-Robbins Jack was like something that Taika Waititi wrote and threw in there. <laughs> yeah,
1: they really amped up the creepiness on that guy too. The way he kept smiling at Scott. <laughs> he wouldn't let go of his head. Baskin-Robbins <laughs> always finds out.
5: <laughs> Quentin, take take your volume down a little bit, bud, if you can. Um oh. VEB, what did you guys think about uh,
1: David Dustmalkian as VEB? I was, I was just going to bring him up. I thought his character was a lot of fun. The way that they first brought it in and that the, you know, drink the ooze and, (laughs) and the way his character, the way he's asking questions of, of, uh, of Scott Lang and he's fascinated with how many holes he might have. And then he's trying to offer him more of the ooze in the middle of the conversation and just the, the what he did during the battle later on when he finally did get a hole in him, I thought was pretty good. I, I liked that they found a way to bring David Dalmashing into this. And and when I saw his name in the credits and I didn't recognize the character's name or anything, but I was like, well, who the fuck was that? And I had to do some research afterwards to find out who it was because I was like his his other character. I'm blanking on the guy's name, but like definitely wasn't in this movie. We didn't see any any of Scott's pals, right. his ex-con pals, yeah. which I was frankly OK with. But I'm glad they found a way to get David Dalmasian into this because I love that guy.
5: Yeah, Um it was nice that they gave
1: Randall Park a little cameo with no lines. <laughs> that was fun too. I love that that him and Scott finally had a lunch together after that awkward exchange at yeah, the yeah. end of Ant Man and the Wasp.
5: I just want more from Jimmy Woo in a movie. I love seeing that guy. So I was just kind of like, man, I would have liked to have seen more of him. But it looks like they've kind of like, I hopefully, hopefully they just haven't relegated him to TV like WandaVision and stuff. Because I really like that guy popping up in the movies. So same. Yeah, um yeah, Veb was uh kind of a fun character. I I What did you guys think about the part where the where he does get the whole shot in him and he's like I have holes. I don't know. It's like
1: I don't is it is it funny? Is it not funny? I don't know. I I thought <laughs> it was funny and it kind of reminded me of the end of the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie where we see Groot like grow those really long spikes out of his hands yeah. and, you know, take, grab six guys with each of them beats them all around and then kind of smiles afterwards. It felt like yeah. in the same vein as, is that. I
5: know, but it's like, I, I, I thought of that too, that scene as well, but it's like, are we just seeing the same beats happen over and over again repackaged?
1: <laughs> Maybe. I mean, this is the 31st movie, right? <laughs> <laughs>
5: I did like the how they did the the uh the sound work when, you know, they did drink the ooze and then they were able to hear. It's like I got it. We all got it. We knew what was oh, happening yeah. there. The yeah. the
1: way that they did that sound mixing was really cool. How it was just this cacophony of weird alien sounds and slowly it distorted into English that absolutely made sense.
5: I was happy to see Bill Murray in a, in a Marvel movie. I thought what he did was fine. I, I liked the uh, awkward exchanges between him and Janet and then Hank realizing that <laughs> this guy was railing his wife while, while uh,
4: she was <laughs> in the quadrant. He took that very well. Yeah, he did. He took it like a champ. <laughs>
6: hey one be- one thing on the ooze again i was dying at the end of the movie to know if when they went back to earth if they weren't going to be able to speak english anymore <laughs> 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 They really they're like Bleep, bloop, bloop. you know they just couldn't communicate <laughs> that would have given the ending the dark twist that i was looking for i think yeah or-
1: what if it's still a universal translator for earth all of a sudden they understand everything every everywhere <laughs> that'd be even cooler
5: oh it'd be awesome yeah. if in like the in like the next team up movie you know, uh, they're
4: like the translators. They can
5: understand, like you know, Scott can understand Groot. Oh, that would be so cool, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, but it had to have worn off because Janet had to drink the drink again, right?
1: She was at did the bar drink? and she um, took a drink of it. That's right, she did because she was actually speaking that bartender bartender's weird language before she took the drink. Yeah, how, how did they pay for those drinks? Yeah, but well, they didn't get into how currency works in the quantum yeah. realm, did they? There's a deleted
6: scene where Scott has to give handies to all the people behind the bar. <laughs> <laughs> it was a smart cut, I have to admit. He's like, "Would you like the big hands or the small hands?"
1: Exactly. <laughs>
5: <laughs> did you guys like Bill Murray in the movie? I thought he was perfect <sighs> for the amount of time he was in.
1: I mean, I I I always enjoy seeing Bill Murray and stuff, but. In this, it felt like it it could have been anything. So, I mean, it's like was it was it? It was fine for this character with the humor that they tied into it, but it it didn't. This wasn't like seeing like the caliber of like Robert Redford in in Winter Soldier. Yeah, it wasn't something like that where it was a very impactful performance and an impactful character. It was it was kind of a throwaway character. But if that's just the way to get this very beloved comedian and actor into an mcu movie then yeah i'm fine with it but i mean there was nothing about it that that really blew me away other than hey that's bill murray i love that guy
5: he's been doing a lot of dramas guys and so if 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 they hired bill murray to be bill murray in this movie which they did i loved that because it's like He's got that smirk on his face, the same smirk you see a lot in like the Ghostbusters movie, you know, that that grin that he has. And I was just like, you know what? It was just – a. it was like a little bit of like comfort food for me to see Bill Murray like that. Like he's done – like he's done the independent movies. He's done the Wes Anderson stuff where he's not that guy. So that – I Tupperware the performance and the decision to let Bill Murray just be like that Bill Murray that we grew up with that we loved. It was like even though it was just for a little bit, I was just – that's the one. I'm not going to take that away because I love that. I grew up on 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 goofy, silly Bill Murray. I like on on uh, SNL and syndication when I used to watch it at Nick at Night and when I used to watch Caddyshack and Ghostbusters. It just felt like the Bill Murray of old. It was nice.
4: Yeah, I was going to say that there was a familiarity to him and and a, a bit of um like comedic presence that we haven't felt from him in a long time. And that alone was you know i think worth the casting i just wish they did more with his character or at least you know kept him alive and have him factor into the overall story somehow rather than just be a, a glorified cameo
5: maybe a post-credit scene of that white
1: octopus spitting him back up you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> even been, that yeah
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that'd have uh, been worth a third post-credit scene yeah i would have. yeah yeah i would have that, liked that, that. would have been really funny
5: yeah yeah um I'm trying to think of like some of the things that we can talk about in this movie. I just I I, I talk about the third act a lot in like my reaction to the third act of the movie, because that's what I really liked. It's I think I think like the first two acts were kind of kind of a snooze fest for me in a lot of ways, to be quite honest with you. I definitely agree with that.
1: I, I think it was a really smart move to split up the family units the way they did because they each had their own beef that they needed to work out. Um, with with the Van da- with the Van Dyne Pym side, it was mostly between Hope and Janet. That Janet is keeping these secrets. She's keeping them for what she feels is a good reason, but it's also wrapped up in guilt. And Hope is just wanting to connect with her mother and and feel more of this stuff. That you know, un- understand. where you were gone from my life for thirty years, and I missed you every day of that. And you come back, and you tell me nothing about what happened down there. And now all of a sudden we're in this life or death scenario and you're still not just being outright with these facts. And so having these characters, these family units be apart so that they could deal with those things, I think was, was really smart. And then with the back and forth between, between Cassie and Scott as well. And then with him kind of being put in this position where he needs to just trust that she's older now, she's going to do what she's going to do. And, you've taught her the best you can. You just got to trust her and let her do her thing. And the, I feel like this movie didn't have a tremendous amount of heart to it, but the heart that was in it was just with me as a father. I I felt that, that I felt that heart that was in that scene where he was down in the lower area of the quantum realm. And there was all the different versions of him replicating And the way it worked was they all had the same, goal that was just get back and save cassie and it was a little bit of heart i would have liked to have seen more heart in this movie but the heart that was there worked for me and and i think that that was just part of that that family unit just building up to that or the, the struggles between the different family units uh, some of the things i want to talk about like with uh i want to definitely get more into
5: like the the orb and the the room of possibilities in a moment but some of the stuff like the comedic stuff that really worked for me when it came to Scott was the I liked when Hope and Cassie got in the car with him and and the and it just started playing his audiobook and it's talking about like yeah. you know he's like so i was a baby and i am and i see the hulk am i the hulk's baby you know i'm i'm like oh my god and then he's like talking about rocket and he's like i just really like the fact that you know uh the the ra- i met her talking raccoon and i really like the fact that i could talk to a raccoon and all that stuff i'm paraphrasing but i did appreciate that yeah. comedic stuff i like the whole you know like You know, walking around town, playing the Welcome Back Kata. Because, like, when we watch the trailer and he's bouncing around and stuff like that, I'm, like, wondering what music they're going to use. And it was the Welcome Back, Welcome Back. So, I was like, that's great. I like that. I like the... You know, thank you, Spider Man. You know that guy, and then at the end of the movie, he realizes that he's the other bug guy, and now he's making him pay for his drinks. And I thought that that was funny. You know, there's stuff that works, like the the lookout for the little guy, that book, reading the book, and and you know Scott really eating it up. You know, and and the funny thing is the lookout for the. L- re- the Lookout for the Little Guy book is actually a real book that you can pre-order on Amazon right now. So, um, oh, really? I, yeah, I, you can get it, uh, you can pre-order the hardcover on Amazon right now. It's a, it's a whole book. So I'm sure it'll, it'll, it's going to be basically, we're going to be able to read silly, funny lines like that, that Hulk line and the rocket line. And it's basically like, his recount of his time in the quantum realm and and then him saving the universe and, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm
4: look- that, that's a really, really good idea for, um, on Marvel's behalf, because it's basically going to that book is going to show you what the Marvel Universe knows about the events of end game and, yeah, yeah. and all it's, it's that.
6: Said, I'm just thinking as much as I didn't love this movie, if there's an audiobook version of that read by Paul Rudd, I'm totally buying a hundred percent.
5: Oh yes. Well, see the world knows about the events in Endgame. We were always wondering like, how do they know these things? How do they know about black widow? How do they know that she sacrificed herself? How do we, how do we know all these things? Scott has this book and then also he's got his own podcast. As well. And we found out about the podcast and the Ms. Marvel TV show because she's she's yeah. she listens to that podcast. She's a big fan of it. So that's another yep. thing. Um, but
4: uh, oh, I'm trying to think here. Um, just, just to piggyback on what you were saying about yeah. the humor. Um, there's a couple other really well uses of humor, like just even like the subtle things like like. Um, you know, the one character saying he has seven holes, and the couple of seconds that Scott is sitting there thinking about how many holes he has. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And says, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, those are, those are really uh, um, good comedic touches. Yeah. The,
5: the telepath character uh, of Quaz, the guy whose forehead would glow. I, I like that character. It's just, I wanted more. I guess I wanted, it's one of those things where it's like, I wanted more of a lot. And we just didn't get it. So it's like, where do you make the cuts? You know, because I liked Quaz. Um, I wanted to see. We, I really felt like we got shortchanged when it came to uh, Hope and Hank. And, and uh, you know, uh, but I think every time we got Jonathan Majors on the screen as Kang, he made the most mm. of his time on screen.
7: Um, for sure.
1: Oh without a doubt yeah the, the and the 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 i i to me it's almost like a promise he's made for future films like we've got to see him do two renditions of this so far if you watched loki then you get to see his take on he who remains which is very different from the sort of portrayal that we see as kang the conqueror here and and then i know we're going to get into more of them later in the post credit stuff but we're we're seeing him play so many different personalities of essentially the same character, but maybe from different points in time, different circumstances. And it's just a really interesting thing because he's such a fantastic actor that I think he's going to be able to put a unique spin on each one of those. And uh, going back to what you were saying about about um, uh, Quaz, I, I felt the same way. Like I really liked that character, but we didn't get much of him. And William Jackson Harper, the, the actor portraying him, is, is such a good actor that I felt like they didn't really give him much to do in this. But I am looking forward to seeing him in future films and seeing what sort of interactions he could possibly have with other characters. Like like Mantis on the Guardian team is somebody who gen- generally knows people's inner truths. So if she touches them, she can sense their feelings. And so oh. it could be some interesting interaction between those two characters.
5: You need both of those around when you're talking to Loki.
7: Right.
1: Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <For>
5: <laughs> yeah. It does
6: feel, though, like it, they're setting up a return to the quantum realm at some point. I mean, I just don't know when and why. That's what I'm trying to figure out.
5: Well, here's the thing. It seems
6: like this isn't the last we've seen of it. Right?
5: We, we don't have 100 percent confirmation that the TVA is not located in the quantum realm.
6: Oh, Good point. Yep. Right. Because they do exist outside of time. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Somewhere in the quantum realm. Yeah,
5: exactly. And I also feel like the, you know, the Kangs that we see later in the movie could also be in a pocket of the quantum realm. I Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just it's, you know, it's just theorizing. I, I, you know, I really liked seeing Jonathan Majors kind of, you know, show up and make his presence known to Scott. And Scott's still coming off very cocky that he's an Avenger, that he's called the other Avengers. And he's like, have I killed you before? He's like, are you the one with the hammer? And he's like, Oh, people confuse us all the time. Similar body types and you know, stuff <laughs> right. like that. But you know, there, there's the moment where he, he's threatening to kill. This was awesome. He's threatening to kill Cassie, which I'm sure Greg loved. He's threatening <laughs> to kill Cassie. <laughs> and he's saying, I'll kill. I'll kill her over and over again and make you rewatch it. And I'm just like, that's awesome. That's that's a threatening Kang. That's a Kang that I can get behind in this movie. You know?
1: Oh, it's so dark. Absolutely and you believe dark. it too? Yeah. yeah. And and really, he's flexing on how strong his tech is there because he's making minute motions with his fingers, and then really drastic things are happening as a result. I mean, he's able to seemingly control where people are at in space to an extent just with mere finger motion. So that is some very, very advanced tech that's built into his suit that does make him a genuine threat. Yeah. It's it's interesting though. And
6: just, why didn't he use that at the end of the movie? And that's what I was struggling with. I'm like, well,
1: I I think it's because those ants just rushed him so hard that all he could do was just put up a force field and then they just stayed on that force field so much. that if he let it off to, respond in any sort of way they would have gotten to him and so all he could do is just put all of his power into trying to hold that and then eventually modok broke through it and then the ants carried him off and then fucked up his suit enough to where he was in that final fist of you know fisticuffs fight with scott he didn't have his tech to rely on he just had his you know bitch i've been training for sure three or three
4: Yeah, I just got the role.
5: (laughs) I, I the the part that was really cool to me also after like their exchange there, where he's threatening Cassie, is the fact that you know he lets he lets them both drop to the ground, and then Scott gets up and then just walks by him face to face, and there's zero fear in the eyes of Kang. He and he's just he's just wait he's just like do something.
1: Yeah, doesn't even even just op- he drops them to the ground and then opens their cells up, Uh-huh. where he's like, "You are so not a threat to me." Uh
5: huh. And he just he just casually turns to Scott, and S- Scott just feels powerless in the moment, you know. And I'm just like, oh, "Okay, th- this is cool. I like I, I dug that."
2: I, I would say that uh, the the cell scene where he's coming in, like this, is kind of like our full fledged look of Kang, um, before you know we saw with Janet, but. Uh, He looked really badass, and I felt like this was the most badass he felt for me in this scene. Like, I thought, if we got this the entire time, that would have been great. Because I'm kind of, like I said, I'm with Greg. Like, I think that uh, his blows are lessened later on in the film. And Tristan, I think you mentioned that, too. Like, when he's firing uh, laser shots at Ant-Man and the Wasp, they're just falling down instead of being obliterated like the retaliators if you will.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but they're wearing powered suits. Yeah. Yeah.
6: I did love the look of Kang though. I mean, that's a, that's an A plus. I mean, he looked like he just stepped right out of Jack Kirby's art. I like it. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal.
5: Yeah. The, the, the suit looks fantastic. The, the way that they make the scars look like the lines on the face from the, you know, the original 616 comic version, the way the helmet glows blue, it, it was a very kind of like, real world approach to, I guess, instead of just having a silly spandex suit, I guess, you know, it just, yeah,
1: instead of wearing this big, like flowing tunic, like in the comics, most of his suit just looks like fabric where he's got, you know, a little bit of a helmet on and he's got some sort of utility belt, but then the rest of it just looks like fabric. Whereas this, it actually was believable. He looked like he was wearing like, you know, like an Iron Man, Iron Man-esque type suit. So
5: the movie starts, of course, and we've get, we get Janet in the quantum realm and this, ex, like this explosion through the sky. We see something crash landing. She comes across, you know, some quantum realm insects that looked very like starship trooper kind of like, you know, gotta kill these things. And then she sees a stranded Kang, um, there and then, we, that we find out later that they had a relationship together and it's their ticket out is his time chair and they're they're working on this together trying to figure out a way to get out and they've built up a friendship here and um they eventually fix it and then she puts her hands on it and it's basically connected to him so she has access to his thoughts it's neurologically connected to Kang so she gets to see a peek into what, into who he really is. And she hadn't heard the name Kang before. Um, we don't know who he was telling her. He may have said Nathaniel. We don't know the name that he gave her, but she sees Kang. What she sees is him basically going around and killing innocent people that are running away. We see planets exploding in the flashes. We also see the multiverse timelines with the branches exploding. So he's killing them. He's destroying the multiverse. And she realizes like this guy is, uh, you know, it's, it's genocide. Yeah,
4: and, um, she, and the way that, the way that Jonathan majors, um, portraying, um, his reaction to her reading his mind, I thought was very masterful because it was like a, almost like a look of shame, Um, and then he just kind of owned it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was, he, he knew
2: he was in trouble, but at the same time, he's like, this is who I am. This is what I have to do.
5: And so she blows up the core from his power orb and it created this probability storm, which we see later in the movie. And I thought that this was one of the coolest parts of the movie. Um, it's, uh, it's basically, so this, 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 this power core, he uses it in his time chair. That way he can navigate the multiverse and, and calculate different probabilities of universes and their different realities. And when it explodes, it creates like this probability storm that can't be contained. It's kind of like just in that area. And then Scott. His – he's got to retrieve this thing. So when he gets inside of it, um, the duplicates of Scott are created because of the probability storm. So it just starts making all these different versions of Scott and the infinite choices he could make in this certain situation. I, I the, the the technology of this power core it's kind of like you know like you've got the flux capacitor in back to the future that makes time travel possible this this device makes it possible for different realities to exist creating a multiverse so like we found out in loki that a variant makes a choice and then creates a branch timeline and within that branch other choices are made which splinters off more onto that branch creating then the multiverse and so what we're seeing here is basically – we're seeing it we're, – we're not seeing branches of timelines. We're seeing branch branches of like – of of Scott and all the choices he can make becoming other Scots. It's a wild concept. And I thought it looked really cool. It was a cool visual. I also enjoyed yeah. the, the visual of all the Scots piling on each other and it created what looked like an anthill. Yes.
1: Yeah. And also every time one of them yeah. would go giant man that it would – just like spin out into unravel. these weird yeah like unravel into these weird cable looking things that would then come falling down mm-hmm. um, i thought it all looked fantastic in 3D too that there was i thought that there was large parts of this movie in 3D where it would be like i can't even really tell if this is 3D right now but then other parts where it looked really great so just the the 3D experience in this one was a little mixed for me it's yeah. like when it, when it looked good it looked great And otherwise, there was times where it was like, I can't tell if I'm watching a 3D movie. But this could also be suffering from comparison because the last 3D movie I saw was Way of Water.
5: That's true. (laughs) Me too. Same thing. Well, they've promised – Marvel has promised that they're going to have Way of Water 3D visuals in the Kang Dynasty and in Secret Wars. So they said by the time we get to those movies – and I'm thinking, okay, whatever – I'll believe it when I see it because it's – at this point, the only person that I know that has access to the 3D fusion technology is James Cameron himself. So, yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. I saw it in 3D. I saw it in IMAX 3D, Joe. So, um I'm kind of there with you. Like, there's parts where they're falling into the quantum realm, which looked amazing. There's parts – Yeah. Yeah. There's parts in the quantum realm where you can see, like, distant shots that looked really cool. But then there's parts where it's just like, this is – yeah, you know, I've seen the way of water
6: and the way that that looked.
5: This just, this just doesn't compare.
6: There um, was this moment yeah. where Michael Douglas reaches his hand out in this – I don't know if it was like a little dandelion seed or like a – Yes, I think great. And, and it, it looked fantastic, but I was like, why are you doing something even remotely like Avatar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I had that same thought. <laughs> but don't go was... there. Don't play that game. You're going to lose. You know? Yeah, it was very yeah.
1: much like a exact – scene in Way of Water where yeah. where Sigourney Weaver's characters under the ocean and she's checking out like some weird little jellyfish type creatures. Super reminiscent of that, Greg. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
5: third act. The thing I one of the things that I love the most is when Scott goes giant and just starts yelling at Kang and he's like, we had a deal. I was just like, there's a lot of emotion in that one. It was like it, it, you know, it's basically – it comes down to like his daughter being in – you know, he's worried about his daughter and I'm just like – I'm loving yeah. the, the all the emotion and the anger that we got from Scott here. I felt like it was really warranted and he was, you know, threatening Kang. I loved it. And then when he rips off part of Kang's uh, kingdom there, that part that actually looks like a giant shield and I was just like – Scott using, Scott is using a makeshift cap shield. His, his, <laughs> yes. his hero. I was like, yes. this is so uh-huh. cool. You know, yeah. it's like that, you know, Scott, I'd say Agent Colson and Scott Lang are like the two biggest Captain America fanboys.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> without
5: a doubt. To, oh my God. To see Scott using a shield. I, I, I just, I, as giant man, I was just like, this is so cool. I really like that. I thought that that was really this
4: cool. It's a really cool shot that Peyton Reed does, too, where you see giant man in the background using the shield and and Cassie in the forefront. Um, I thought that, like, just in just the visuals of that third battle, I thought, like, I thought he did a really, really fantastic job. I, I didn't think he was capable of displaying action like that.
6: Yeah. That, Yeah, that particular scene did really pop in 3D, too. You know, you could see sort of Ant-Man in gigantic form in the background moving forward. It looked really fantastic. I didn't care for the – this
5: also felt very Rick and Morty for the buildings that were alive that had like these sentient buildings I thought were silly. Yeah,
1: Yeah, those were kind of weird looking. At first, I thought they were going to be more maybe like the, uh, the, the tree rockets from Saga. But then it was like, no, these things are very sentient. Like they, they move around and shit. And it, it did very, it looked kind of doc, Dr. Seuss like.
5: Well, they wouldn't I, let you enter them unless they got the go ahead from like the other rebels. It was like those, those, ha- those buildings were ready to shoot Scott before he entered. And I was just like, I don't know. It just felt too cartoonish, Rick and Morty with quantum, quantum buildings. And then even Veb was like, oh, your buildings don't, don't move or talk or whatever he said. I was just like, (laughs) okay. She
1: says, your buildings are alive. And he's like, yours aren't? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I was looking
6: into it too deeply, but I thought almost everything in the quantum realm was alive, except for what Kang had built. And that was sort of like one of the awful things he did, you know? Was it was it me? Because even the spaceship was essentially a creature of some kind. Yeah. It he
1: had a little armor on. Oh, uh, yeah. Living thing. Yeah. Hank Pym. But that's a you know. really good point. Hank like the, Pym all put the technology his... that he's bringing to it and the architecture that that he's doing is in itself an alien invasion of this place. Right. Whereas a lot of the people who are native to this, this quantum realm are, are living in harmony with it. Like they're living in houses that are actually organisms of some sort that. That will blow you away if if they don't recognize you, it's like you're not getting in one of my holes. Get out of here.
6: (laughs) I don't know if there's a theory about this, but I'm kind of interested in who the heck Kang's foot soldiers are like where where did they come from the guys oh. with the glowing heads and they were sort of cannon fodder and I'll get over that you know so were the outriders in the and, you know the other movies yes. but yes. but I, I, like where who are they are they just it people just, from the quantum realm that he convinced to go you know join along with them or? I just thought they were like do, like
5: you know like doctor doom has in the comics the doom bots i just felt like they were yeah. robot version yes,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. You yep. too. that's yeah. that's the way i looked at it it's another part of that marvel formula formula where they're like, okay, we need to have a dispensable army cannon of soldiers up. for the villain yeah. that that our heroes can just kill with want and abandon, but yeah. we don't have the sticky situation of them being real people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you see that in so many different movies. In yeah. in Avengers, it was the Chitari, in Age of Ultron, it was Ultron bots. And I yeah. you just see it all the time where it's this this huge force of of like yeah, just can't cannon fodder. And this was just another version of it. Absolutely.
4: They had to create a villain that Scott could just step over (laughs) and <laughs> no one fills
5: yeah, mean, one, no, oh, one of the coolest shots in the third act too is when Scott picks up Kang and slams him into the wall.
1: Oh, I love that.
5: And then Kang blasts him back and then drops to the ground. It was just like that kind of like it did display some of Kang's power, which was kind of cool to see him be able to take on Giant Man there. That was cool.
1: Yep. I liked that, too, that that all these rebels were thinking that they had the upper hand in taking out all these soldiers of his. But as soon as Kang himself enters the fray, you know, he's he's the guy that can one shot kill almost everybody. And then he kills our laser face dude that I do agree. That would have been amazing if they would have made him giant. Yeah, that would have been. Cool as
5: shit. Yeah. I think they
1: missed an opportunity there.
5: That would have been awesome. Um, Instead, he was he was killed by Kang.
1: <laughs> and, and really, that was our that only emotional death that we got in this movie was this new character that I didn't even
4: remember his name. Nah, I couldn't <laughs> you tell, know, tell you. Either. He was he was well, the, the only discernible death. Yeah, he was the only person that died that had. Any type of, you know, more than a couple seconds of screen time.
1: Exactly. (laughs) This was this was supposed to be the oh, this is Gentora's right hand laser face guy. Like (laughs) We're supposed to feel this (laughs) loss.
4: (laughs) All the kids kids crying in the theater. Laser face.
1: (laughs) I do think it would have been a huge swing for Peyton Reed if, if he would have been able to get the green light to let's give this some sort of consequence let's either leave it with 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 people trapped in the quantum realm or let's leave it with kang the conqueror actually escaping well, or hell well, it's i even don't get, know how I true, mean, michael douglas would have been up to be killed in a movie it's from the sounds of things right yeah
4: i i'm not sure how true this is but i heard somewhere um that the original test screening of this movie had a different ending and that well and that Scott or somebody was going to die or get, tra- get stranded down there. It was it seems like
5: I can tell you what it was. The yeah. original yeah. ending to this movie through Reddit leaks on the uh, MCU spoilers thread was that Scott and Hope were stranded in the quantum realm. And it ends with Cassie trying to use that device to find them, track them down and get them out and something pops up on that screen you know the the what the thing that was mapping out the quantum realm for her that that device, that beacon it she sees something on that screen that makes her say, "Oh my God," and then the movie goes black and so I was thinking when we talked about our ant man spoiler spoiled episode, spoiled question mark, basically going over like you know. What I've heard the spoilers were for this movie is I thought she saw a variant version of of uh, Iron Man in another universe, in the multiverse. Um, maybe, a, you know, and so because what would make her go, oh, my God, what would she recognize? Everybody in the world recognizes Tony Stark. And right. I firmly believe that we're getting – a variant version of Tony showing up in Secret Wars. I, I can't see that movie not happening with a variant version of Tony.
6: Good or good or evil.
5: Good. I don't think it's going to be like a Kang version of him. I still think we're going to be going with Jonathan Majors Kang in Secret Wars. So and I think we're going to be getting this version of Kang the Conqueror in Secret Wars. I'll get into that a little bit later. But I, I think it would be a good version. I think we're going to see a I think we're going to see Cap and and Tony kind of reunited in a way here. I think they're going to de-age Captain America. You know, like when Scott turned into the baby. Yeah, run time backwards through him.
1: Yeah, that's what
5: they're going to take. They're going to take that old man Cap that we've seen and de-age him, and then he's going to come back for one final. You know, but uh, it's
6: interesting. I don't remember the source, but there was a rumor this week that the villain of secret wars was going to be the tony stark of the illuminati reality Mm -hmm. and you know basically from you know the the avengers from the 616 or scarlet witch killed his Illumin, so he was kind of avenging them and he was also evil because all the it was interesting in dr strange all of the people in that reality there was something off about them like they weren't necessarily controlling themselves i don't know if you remember that but i guess we'll see
5: no, I mean that that's very that's very possible. There's been some rumors about what we're I, and we'll talk about talk about some of that stuff towards the end of the podcast, some of the some of the rumors that I've heard from some credible leakers um about Kang Dynasty and secret wars. I I, I like the um uh, uh the call back to Civil War with Scott Lang, where after he did turn giant, he wanted the orange slices, and in this one, Cassie Mm -hmm. wanted something citrus, like a (laughs) lime. Yes. (laughs) So I like, you know, I like those little details that can, you know, make me reminisce about a movie that was better. Um, (laughs) 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 I mean, any, I want to get into like the the meat. Of some of the things that actually happened in this movie. But if there's anything else that you guys wanted to bring up um, and maybe like, you know, you know what we've talked about, feel free to bring it up now before we get into. I really want to get into like why was what was his motivation? Why was Kang exiled and all that stuff? There's a lot to unpack there.
1: Now, now what the, are the. Only... Oh, go ahead. No, you go first, Joe. I was going to say, what are the chances that Janet also fucked Kang? Because she said they worked <laughs> together for ages before they got the power source going again. She had hooked up with Crylar during the revolution. And so it's like, come on. You, you're going yeah, to eventually give in and fuck Bill Murray, but you're not going Joe, to. Joe, are you slut shaming Janet? <laughs> no, I think what I'm saying is that I. Is <laughs> that I would fucking hang. His- I'm just, listen, I'm trying to,
5: all I'm doing here is trying to take the heat off of me for giving this movie a low taste it and you rating it higher. So I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to take some of the heat off of me after people listen to my reaction to the movie, Joe. That's all I'm doing. I didn't think hey, you were doing dude, that at all.
1: Dude, I I I went and saw it with Aiden, my 15 my year old son, and he was with you. He was a low taste it. He had, He had a lot of negative criticisms for this movie. So I I knew going into this, I was like, I'm probably going to be the only one to give it this high of a rating. I I thought you were going to –
5: here we go. I thought you were going to say Aiden turned to you and said, do you think
1: Janet fucked Kang? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Right after it was over, we were listening to a podcast and they were talking about Janet fucking Krylar. And I look at him and his face is just bright red. And so I'm like, skip 30 seconds, skip 30 seconds, skip 30 seconds.
6: What if when that multiversal engine blew up, there were many Janets and one of them just happened to be fucking Kang? You know, Yeah, <laughs> you, never you never know. That would have
1: been awkward. So she's <laughs> walking away, one of them's like, ah, ah. She's, Every possibility. She's
4: limping. She's limping away. yeah.
5: <laughs> I call this move the Kang Bang. Here we go.
7: Yeah.
1: <laughs> All I'm saying is in a world where you get desperate enough to fuck Bill Murray, how are you not fucking Kang the Conqueror?
5: Let's talk about... Well, Uh, one thing I want to talk about is uh, a theory that I think is very interesting is that a lot of, uh, of Kang's technology, this, this guy comes from, you know, the 31st century and some of the technology that we've seen that's been on the earth in the 616 MCU universe that's been there for thousands of years. That technology is way advanced, and I'm talking about the rings that Shang-Chi uses, and I'm also talking about the bangles that Ms. Marvel uses. Could yes. those have been made by a variant of Kang?
1: I think so, I especially with the Shang-Chi rings. Uh, just the way that that when the giant rings first started popping up over his citadel, the way that it like zoomed in, on the weird characters going around the outsides of them. It just looked exactly like Shang-Chi's rings. And with that same blue energy that was coming off of them when his father was using them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I, a
6: great point. You know, I can't, for some godforsaken reason, I rewatched Eternals recently. I don't know why I did that. But, uh, Faistos' tech looks a lot like Kang's as well. I'm I'm guessing there's no connection there at all, but it was interesting.
5: Yeah. Huh. It makes you wonder if the Celestials were birthed in the quantum realm, possibly. I don't know. Yeah,
1: you'd think that that factory that the Celestials were using would be outside of time and space. Yeah. So it could be there, but. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't. I don't think I've gone back and watched Eternals since the theater. Um, I think I started watching it on Disney Plus, but didn't finish it, and. I don't know, self-care and all, you know, <laughs> I would watch
5: it. I would watch it for Don Lee's character because I love yeah. that. Oh, you know?
1: without a doubt. But that's the biggest tragedy in the movie. It's like, oh, let's take the most like personable, charismatic, eternal and yeah, let's just kill him for shits and giggles. Like, uh, oh, get out of here. <laughs> uh,
5: I love Don Lee. Oh, what was what was really cool about King's plan here? Uh, and, I, you know, a lot of people have been ca- comparing this to Star Wars, and I do see it uh, there. You know, uh, Krylar's character kind of like uh, betrays them, uh, just like uh, uh, Lando betrays Han. And, and 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 then also the fact that. He, you know, Kang takes like that power orb in his time chair and hooks it up to like his kingdom. And that's what's going to that he's going to basically his time chair is going to power his kingdom. And he's going to be able to take that into different multiverses. Reminded me of just like the Death Star. Like I just you know what I mean? Just like this big, oh, huge, yeah. massive kingdom that he can kind of like take with him. But yeah, uh, he's I not
1: going to move just himself. He's got entire legions of soldiers and yes. all those those jets with that wild blue power source that they got on the back of him that that was my first hint that maybe krylar is is going to not be the friend and ally that janet's hoping is when he showed up in one of these ships it's like on the one hand maybe just everybody has ships here but for sure we've seen kang's forces with these ships
5: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: and also calling himself lord it's like ooh, well who gave you a title? I I, I like the way that whole scene unwrapped. I thought it was done really really well. Didn't he with have a, a k- perfect balance of of um, you know something isn't right here, and then just comedy with the the weird offhanded comments the the Bill Murray's oh. making about the relationship with ja- with Janet, and you know saying that you know Hank, I've heard a lot about you and your aunts. What are aunts? <laughs>
5: And both, both him and Lando are ladies men. You know what I mean? And, oh, yeah. And didn't Krylar have a cape?
1: Yeah, he did. Ooh, I, Lando yeah. has a cape. But does he have a Lobot?
5: Hmm. That's the question, Joe.
1: <laughs> Lando wins.
5: Lando wins every time. Yeah. Colt
6: 45 works every time.
7: <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs>
6: You should have mispronounced Hank the whole time. That would have made it better. Honk. Hank. Hank. Hank.
5: Let's get into I uh, There's a lot to talk about here. With the uh, There's a lot of stuff with Janet. There's a lot of stuff with Loki. There's a lot of stuff going into uh, Kang's motivations. And I want to kind of like break everything down. So why was this version of Kang exiled by the Council of Kangs or the Kang Dynasty, whatever you want to call them? So basically, we find out that the, the Kang Dynasty, they sabotaged his time chair. They left him stranded in the Quantum Realm. And um, Janet sees Janet's uh, has the vision that she sees of Kang killing people, blowing up. Entire timelines, planets being destroyed. Kang asked her what she saw. She says, a monster who thinks he's a god. And he says, when you see time the way I do, you don't get to close your eyes. She says, and you're the only one who sees? And he says, I am the only one who can see it's broken. She says, who broke it? And he says, I did. Every version of me Our variants throughout the multiverse play with time like children, but I saw how it ends. I saw their chaos spreading across realities. Universes colliding. That line really hit me. It reminded me of Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars that he did uh, near nearly a decade ago. Universes colliding. Um, He says, endless incursions. I saw the multiverse and it was dying all because of them so I took control. He mentions incursions which was important. We uh first heard about uh incursions from Reed Richards and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. What are incursions? Reed said an incursion occurs when the boundary between two universes erodes and they collide destroying one or both entirely. So, an incursion is a result of prolonged multiversal travel that can cause one or more universes to be entirely destroyed. Just the fact that these Kangs are getting together and meeting each other is an incursion.
1: Yes. Yeah. They're just asking for incursions on a large scale by doing this. Yeah. And, and with, with our Kang in this movie saying he's the only one seeing what's going to happen at the end of the road with all this behavior. And he's the only one that, I I guess had the guts to stand up and do what needed to be done and just start hacking off these other branches himself, because he's the one who knew that if you let this go on a long enough timescale, it's going to rip itself all apart. There needs to only be one timeline Mm -hmm. and he's going to be the one who's going to determine what it is by any means necessary.
5: The multiversal war between the Kangs caused countless incursions and threatened the stability of the multiverse. And, Janet says, you mean you started a war and now you want to wipe away any universe that's a threat to you? That's what monsters do. He says, that's what conquerors do. They burn the broken world and they make a new one. Janet says, you don't care about saving anything or anyone. You only want revenge because they beat you because you lost. Kang says, I have lost. You have no idea what I have lost and I will burn them out of time for what they've done to me. Janet says, you'll be wiping out entire timelines, murdering trillions of people. And he says, I wish that mattered, Janet. So basically, this Kang started the multiversal war. And I want to get into the uh, into that history part of this and what we learned from Loki season one. Uh, he was exiled by the other Kangs for starting the multiversal war. Which is the same war that He Who Remains at the end of Loki was prophesizing. So in the first season of Loki, He Who Remains tells Sylvie and Loki, you may hate the dictator, but something far worse is going to fill that void if you depose of him. I've lived a million lifetimes. I've gone through every, every scenario. This is the only way. So basically the history here is that Nathaniel Richards was the first variant who came into contact with – and this is all the stuff that we learned from Loki season one. Nathaniel Richards was the first variant who came into contact with alternate universes and other variants of himself. When some of those variants, such as Kang, attempted to conquer other realities, a multiversal war ensued, which he ended by weaponizing Eliath. Um, Under the moniker of He Who Remains, he founded and ruled the Time Variance Authority to preserve the sacred timeline and prevent the return of his counterparts. Uh, Residing at the Citadel at the end of time for eons, He Who Remains eventually met Loki and Sylvie. Sylvie ends up killing him. Um, And... He he, Who Remains also said this. I want to go into some of the things that he said that I do think is important. And he says, eons ago before the TVA, a variant of myself lived on Earth in the 31st century. He was a scientist and he discovered that there were universes stacked on top of his own. At the same time, other versions of us were learning the same thing. He also said, not every version of me was so pure of heart. New worlds meant only one thing. New lands to be conquered. The peace between realities erupted into all are all-out war, each variant fighting to preserve their universe and annihilate others. He says new lands to be conquered. So, I mean, we found that out in this movie. Like, the guy's stranded in the quantum realm, and within the time that he's stranded there, he conquers the quantum realm, for crying out loud.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's in his nature to do that.
5: And the only reason up to this point that the MCU 616 was safe from all of this... Was because when he who remained said once I isolated our timeline, all I had to do was manage the flow of time and prevent any further branches, hence the TVA hence the timekeepers and a highly efficient bureaucracy, hence ages and ages of cosmic harmony, and then he also said, I understand your moral objections to what the TVA does, and my methods are deceptive, but the mission it never was." Without me, without the TVA, everything burns. So this version of Kang sees that the other Kangs are causing incursions and are too loose with the timeline. And it was killing the multiverse. There were too many Kangs interacting and threatening the stability of the multiverse. And so the other Kangs, in order to preserve their timelines, stranded... This version of Kang the Conqueror in the Quantum Realm. And the reason they didn't try to kill him is either, A, they couldn't kill him, or they were just worried about him possibly coming back and respawning. Because he who remains said to Loki and Sylvie, he said, You plunge a blade through my chest, you start another multiversal war, and I just end up right back here anyways. I think that... He who remains is this version
1: of Kang. I agree. That's, that's what I think as well. That this is the one that has what it takes to take it all the way to the end. And, and also it's laid out in the, in the dialogue of this movie when he's talking with Janet before Janet finds out who he really is. And he's talking about what time is really like. In how you don't see the prison for what it, you don't see it for what it is, this prison until you're actually outside of it. And he says that for people who don't live their lives in a linear fashion. And so that means that just because he maybe maybe didn't die at the end of this movie. I mean, who knows, even though we see other characters seemingly saying he is dead, but it doesn't matter because he doesn't live his life in a linear fashion there could still be. This variant of this exact same Kang that's just displaced in a different part of time that's going to show back up again, and I do believe that he's the one that actually has what it takes to carry this thing through to the end and then eventually become this more tired and enlightened Kang that we see in he who remains
5: when Sylvie destroy when when Sylvie killed that. When Sylvie killed that version of Kang, He Who Remains, she basically, we saw the, we saw the, the, the one sacred timeline branch off, right? And that's what brought about all the different Kangs again. They came back and everything's starting over. Right. Right.
6: Did you get the impression when Kang said though something like you? You said it, Brian. You have no idea what I've lost. That there was something personal there. Like, is that a Ravona Renslayer storyline or loss of a family? Something like that. Definitely, if, if it, like somebody died.
5: Definitely, somewhere. I think they all have. I think all the Kangs have certain attachments in some way or another. Um, we'll talk about the other Kangs here. You know, when we when we dive into like the the post credit scenes. But I think that they all. Have certain attachments. Um, in the comics, um, he takes the essence of Ravona and spreads it throughout the multiverse, so that all the different Kang variants will have like their own version of that love story with Ravona. So, yeah, um, very much so. I, I think that in Loki season two, we might find out that there's a there's a love that he has the love interest and it could be, re- it could be revealed to be Ravona. That's a great well, point, and, Greg.
1: Well, and also speaking to the Ravona that we had in Loki, the last time we see her is her stepping through a time portal yeah. saying that she's in search of, of free will. And before that she was saying free will. The only person who has free will is the person who's at the top of this. Right. So, I mean, she's essentially saying I'm going to go and find the person at the top of this. And if Kang the Conqueror is not really dead, if he's just in a further down place of the quantum realm, because the quantum realm just seems to be level upon level. And if he's just somewhere else in there, she probably has the capability to find him.
5: Uh, I do, I guess, do you guys want to jump into the post credit scenes or do you guys want to take a quick break?
1: Yeah, let's take a quick break.
5: All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back talk about that. I'll get a, I'll get everything kind of like organized here cuz there's a, there's a lot to go over when we talk about these post credit scenes. We'll be right back.
3: Hi. I sound like Morgan Freeman. I bet most of you do some online shopping with Amazon. It's just so easy. I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No. I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too, one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day, you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis. and shitting your body weight and Dan and yogurt. And the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, Holy shit, that freckled face fucker was right. Anyway... The whole point of this is to tell you that popcultureleftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. It's easy and convenient, just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth.
5: Right, hey, we are back and we are going to be talking about the post-credit scenes in Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. I'm actually going to play audio for both of them. Here is the first one.
4: So, the exiled one is dead. Get sure, he's dead.
3: If it wasn't true, I wouldn't call you. Must really eat you up that you're not the one who killed him.
7: None of us killed
0: him. They did. They're beginning to touch the multiverse. And if we let them, they will take
3: everything.
0: We
3: so let's stop wasting time. How many did you call? All oh, of uh, uh.
5: Okay, so we've got uh, three versions of Kang here, followed by a, an entire arena of Kang. Um, I definitely know that the one is the uh, Pharaoh Ramatut Kang. Mm-hmm. Yes, the eldest one that comes out of the shadows is that a, is that supposed to be a mortise?
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah, totally. He's got the same hat on
5: and uh i'm not sure who the other one is it's the one that looks like the futuristic one the bald one with all it looks like like a like with a with robotic suit i have i'm not sure who that one is scarlet
1: thinking that that centurion. one's centurion exactly yeah scarlet centurion
5: okay yeah it's a very so
1: Scar- fu- yeah so scarlet centurion is there's numerous like versions of kang that have assumed that alias but it's the one-time identity that he assumed after being uh, the Rama-Tut one that gets beat by the Avengers. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, in the comics, there's been a few different Kangs that have gone by that moniker, but it's one of the main ones. So it's, it's kind of almost through process of elimination. Or process of elimination is like, okay, it's probably Scarlet Centurion. Maybe – maybe some sort of version of like Iron Lad, but Iron Lad was more of a Kang that was wanting to be a good guy. So it just seems like Scarlet Centurion is the likelier candidate.
2: And he was more of a human-esque quality as well, more than a cyborg.
5: Okay. Yeah. So when we're watching Loki and we see the three Kangs at the end of, uh, so yeah. The statues? Yeah, the statues. It's probably representing these guys, right? Yep, and And the King
1: the Conqueror was the fourth one that they exiled, and then they broke his statue.
5: And it looks like where this is taking place is happening outside of time. Just like, you know, the Citadel and and Loki in the Loki series, that was taking place somewhere Mm -hmm. out of time. Because they had access to look at like the – they had access to look outside and see – the Sacred Timeline branching off and creating the multiverse. And yeah. so once Sylvie kills He Who Remains and the Sacred Timeline starts to branch off in these eruptions, all of history at that point reset and these Kangs were back at war again. Um, everything that He Who Remains contained was set loose again. So at that moment, the three Kangs exiled... So. After the events of Loki, the three Kangs are back, brought back into existence. They exiled Kang the Conqueror out of time in the Quantum Realm. And I feel like they didn't want to kill him because another version of the Conqueror could just respawn. So they just wanted to trap him.
1: Yeah, is that makes sense. Like they just need to have him safely outside the equation of everything else. And if they kill him... This guy doesn't live his life in a linear way, so the only way they can really keep him out of it is to kind of trap him like a fly in amber. Now, the other Kangs,
5: like, they're, they're they're having this conversation and and about how, you know, are you sure he's dead? If it wasn't true, I wouldn't call you. It must really eat you up that you're not the one who killed him. So that Kang had gone through and destroyed that version's Multiverse, and he probably had people that he cared about, maybe his own version of Ravona that Greg was talking about. We don't know what this version of Kang took from these versions, but there it feels like, in the, at, at this point, that's what they had to worry about was Kang the Conqueror. Now that they believe that he's dead, which I don't, but now that they believe that he's dead. They're worried about the Avengers now. Now the Avengers can uh, can touch them and they're aware of the multiverse. And so now it sounds like each Kang variant is going to go to war against the Avengers in their universe. Is that what you guys are getting from this?
1: Yes, that's what I was understanding from it as well, is that they they had this struggle and it was going for a while. Kang the Conqueror reached and started actually going beyond his scope, and so they combined their powers to exile him, and now they're just maintaining this status quo where they're very protective of their multiverse that they're ruling over, and they don't want to see some other powerful group rise up that could challenge that, and so they're going to have to try and start finding these heroes that could be you know, affect change in some sort of way and targeting them. And this could be the way that we start seeing the heroes that will eventually get drawn into secret war if, if they're doing part, because I think when they do secret war, they're going to do it as like a, a, amalgam of both the secret war stories where it's going to be at this bit of a battle world, but also with, with incursions causing these different realities and of the multiverse to start colliding together.
6: Part of me wonders if the next time we see this council of Kangs, though, we're going to see them getting slaughtered by Kang, like Jedi Temple style. I just have a weird feeling that they're all together in that one place for a reason. Story-wise.
1: Yeah, and I really, I think all those Kangs are always at each other's throats. Yeah. And it's just through various levels of of machinations and, and whatnot that, you know, if they do it outright where everybody can see it, they might get taken out. But the more underhanded and secretly that they can get away with with undermining each other the better is i mean cuz if you just get that many kangs all together in one place it just seems like this is the precursor of these kangs really starting to fight each other which is eventually what it's going to turn into
5: did you guys notice any other important kang variants in that arena scene i i saw the scroll version of kang and another one that was like in a business suit, which um, can we get some toast on Twitter said, looks like we've got Mr. Gryphon, another Kang variant in the end mm-hmm. credit scene. And then my time to shine hello. Another scooper said, Mr. Gryphon is coming. And if you guys remember, that version of Kang is the one in we saw in Loki the Avengers Tower and it had Kang spelled Q-U – what was it? Q E N G. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a version of Kang, the businessman version of Kang that took over Avengers Tower. And so both of these scoopers are saying Mr. Gryphon is coming. That could be something that we see in the Loki series possibly. Um.
1: Are we going to see the Fred Kang who named himself after the cartoon character Fred Flintstone? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a real thing? I just read it on the Wikipedia page for King Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> Frederick. Fred Kang, who named himself after the cartoon character Fred Flintstone, ah. he's later incinerated by a nebula possessed human torch. I'm looking forward to Loki
5: eating Kangstone vitamins in <laughs> Loki season two. We are Kangstone kids, one million strong and growing um let's see here and growing. And growing. Yeah, it does end on that, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Gen Z has no idea what the fuck we're talking about. No shit, like, what? Yeah. Um, My Time to Shine Hello also talked about uh, uh, the upcoming King Dynasty and Secret Wars, basically saying, um, talking about uh, the King Dynasty and... They said, this is how they plan to make Secret Wars work without making it a four hour movie. Kang Dynasty will have the new Avengers as the leads, while Secret Wars will mostly be from the point of view and will, uh, will be from the point of view and will focus on the heroes from other universes. Oh, I, I can't wait. I find That's, that very. That sounds, yeah. I find that very, I think it will have a heavy focus on them. Do you think like the Avengers from the 616 will kind of show up like the cavalry at the end, you know, like with the heroes that we know, but instead earlier in the movie, we're just following, you know, a different version of Thor. You know, we're following, you know, characters from the Foxverse, maybe, you know, Logan and the... Toby and Andrew versions of Spider Man will be, you know, big players in this movie. Maybe I, I I'm trying to figure out exactly because I, I I think it would be, I mean, it's either going to be like just those characters are just cameos and just showing up to be like, oh my god, look who it is! I can't believe they in- included this person into this movie. You know, because I I I I heard today that you know Patrick Stewart's been going around making the rounds doing some interviews. And he mentioned that, you know, expect to see me and Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen popping back up in some of these movies. And uh, I heard it's been teased that uh, Ian McKellen will be reprising his role as Magneto in not just one movie, but two. And those two movies are Deadpool three and Secret Wars.
4: Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. That's, I really um, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead uh, I was just gonna say that, um, given the blueprint that was laid out, kind of with Infinity War and and um, Endgame, I can see there being like two different focal points with Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, and you know, Kang Dynasty being a cast that they're fo- that they focus on for the most part, and then those actors don't really have much of a huge role in the Secret Wars, and maybe there's some culmination at the end.
5: According to uh, Heavy Spoilers, they said a trio of heroes will take the lead in what uh, they referred to as the first wave of Avengers to take on Kang. They say Captain America, Shang-Chi, and Shuri. So by Captain America, they do mean uh, Anthony Mackey's Falcon. So Captain America, Shang-Chi, and Shuri will be the first wave of Avengers to take on Kang. Um, I don't know if that's Kang Dynasty or if that's in Secret Wars, but I find that interesting. Um, it's yeah, interesting, that'll be an
1: interesting team up.
5: Yeah,
6: yeah, it's a, it's an interesting balance because I, you know, I'm obviously as excited to see all of these classic actors and actresses come together as anybody. I also, it, it feels like by the end of Secret Wars, you do have to sort of like finish passing the torch, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's got to be. It feels like it's got to be this new team of Avengers that really stands out by the end of the movie. Or where do you go from there? Yeah, you know?
5: yeah. I've said that that like I feel like this like after the events of Endgame, I don't really feel like going into Phase Four and Five now that we really have connected to to characters the way that we connected to Tony and Steve. I mean, I can guess I can say Doctor Strange and Shang-Chi have been the two characters that I've connected with the most. Post Tony and Steve, I don't know.
1: No, I think that's really fair, because if if you're comparing this to the to, to phases one through three, do you feel the same about these characters as you did with the originals going into phase two? And it's definitely not. Yeah. And. But it's it's also, this is just so much bigger now. It, they gave us so much content in Phase 4, but they didn't give us all that many repeat characters. They gave us a whole giant pool of characters. Whereas maybe they could have focused on a little bit smaller group of characters and got us connected to them a little bit better. And uh, Kevin Feige was also saying that not all the movies in Phase 5 are going to be multiverse-centric. And so I wonder if in phase five is when they're going to start tightening up that narrative and putting it into different camps. And like this is the camp of characters that are going to be directly involved with this multiversal story going forward. And maybe there's going to be other characters that are more, you know, on the Marvel horror side of the fence and stuff like that. Yeah. But what do you think I've of wondered, the what do you
5: think the chances are that? I mean, we've heard the rumors that the villain and uh, the Fantastic Four movie is going to be Galactus. But what what are the could there be a chance that they, they're actually in their movie taking on a, a a variant version of Kang in that movie?
1: That's – as much as I want to see Galactus because I think that'll be epic and I think they can do it, it would almost be smart to just do it as their – their villain is them going up against Rama-Tut.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. I would, I would also love, love to see Rama-Tut – you know, if the first wave of Avengers to take on Kang is Captain America, Shang-Chi and Shuri, I'd love to see – Ramatut look at Shang-Chi and be like, oh,
6: I wondered where those went, talking about his rings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense if the Fantastic Four were traveling through time, which is a big rumor, too, that at some point they bounce around to ancient Egypt. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah.
2: The
4: only issue I have with that is, is that I feel like a lot of general viewers would keep seeing Kang being killed and not view him as much of a threat leading into the Kang dynasty. I mean, I, we understand the variance and all that, but it's like, you know, I already see people now after Ant-Man saying, well, I'm, well, I'm, not, I'm not threatened by Kang anymore because he died by, you know, a, a swarm of ants. And that was, that was like me two hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, if we keep seeing ways that people defeat him, does that really take away from the, the overall uh, event that comes later?
1: Yeah, they, they definitely can't have Kang as a villain in every movie, or if they do, they can't have him getting outright killed in everyone. or they do run that risk.
5: Yeah, I don't think I, – I don't think that – I don't think that the Kang that we saw died at all. I, I think that Scott, Scott blew up the core with the PIM Particles – So he basically did the same thing that Janet did to the core that we saw in the flashback. So all Scott did, in my opinion, is I think he sent – we didn't see a body, okay? We saw him being sucked into like what looked like a vortex. So it probably just sent him into a new probability storm. So Kang right now is inside this multiversal engine core. And I believe that now that version of Kang, Kang the Conqueror, has full access to the multiverse without the use of his time chair. So maybe he's bonded with it. He's like he's like an America Chavez at this point where I feel like it's. I, I feel like he's bonded to, to, the, to the multiversal engine core and he has – yeah, he – he, Kang himself is now kind of like a, the physical embodiment of what he needed before with the time chair. Does that make sense?
6: So that could that – Yeah, there was the rumor that the villain in Secret Wars is the Beyonder, but this Beyonder is Kang. Yeah. So it would make sense if that's what happened.
1: Yeah, exactly because he's been moved to some place that's way beyond and maybe that could even be where he first meets Elioth and then gets that under his thumb and is able to weaponize Elioth to use against the others and that also puts him in the strongest position of strength that this council of Kangs thinks he's dead but then with the bookend of of Scott talking to the camera again at the end where he's or, or not really talking to the camera where he's walking down the street with the welcome back Cotter theme playing again And now he's saying, you know, we defeated Kang, but then he's second guessing it. I I think that's a very strong indication that we're not done with this version of Kang. Also beyond the fact that it it would just be tragic to give us this excellent version of Kang and then dispatch of him in a fucking Ant-Man movie of all things. It's like this is such a powerful character that they really need to find a way to bring him back. And also if they bring him back, it just makes him that much more threatening that he was able to survive this thing. That could have possibly changed him and made him more powerful in the process. I agree. I want to let's. I want to play
5: the second post-credit scene because I want to get into this.
0: Time is everything.
3: It shakes our lives. But perhaps we can shape it. It's him. You
0: made him sound like this terrifying figure. is. Yes.
5: All right, so... Um what we see here is uh victor timely uh, it's a it's another variant of kang uh we got the first post credit scene which showed all the kangs they said you know who did you bring all of them all of us well not 100% true one of them is not there and it's victor timely And I believe what we're seeing here is definitely set up for Loki season two. But I also believe this is going to be showing us the origins of the TVA. And because you've got to remember that after the events of Loki, Mobius doesn't remember meeting Loki. He has no recollection of him. And this is like Loki trying to explain to Mobius like this is this is the big bad this is the guy that we gotta worry about this guy is threatening I think that I think that the Kang that we saw being sucked into the vortex Kang the Conqueror that we saw being sucked into the vortex I don't think he died I think he's planted himself here and he's starting this this Mobius loop all over again I think he who remains, King the Conqueror, and Victor Timely are all the same person.
1: I like that because it's it's a it's a perfect bookend to put on the end of it, showing that hey, this guy survived, and he's just under a different guise now. And in the comics, Victor Timely, he went in and, and hid in the past because he got beat, and it was a way for him to go and hide from the Avengers in a place and lick his wounds. And then he establishes this small town called Timely, Wisconsin in 1901 and s- starts working on on future-related tech there. It eventually leads to him teaming up with somebody and he creates the original Human Torch and all that. But just for the purposes of this movie, I, I think that that's a really good theory, Brian.
5: And Very much so. I like that a lot. So we see him. He's created this machine called the Emporium Marvel which he says can shape time. I think it's cool that his name is Victor Timely. Timely was, Marvel was originally it's called comics. Timely Comics. Yeah. And then he's shaping it, this new machine, which he says can shape time is called the Emporium Marvel. Um, and I think that we're watching the beginnings of the creation of the TVA here. And, um, yeah, I, uh, it's got me you know one of the bright spots of the disney plus shows ha- for me has been loki season 1 and so i'm really looking forward to the events of loki season 2 um yeah any other thoughts on the on the uh, second post credit scene
2: it's making me very excited i mean more than i already was for loki 2 but uh Like, I didn't know if Jonathan Majors was going to be a huge part of this. I know that might sound stupid. Um, I just – I didn't know if he was even, like, going to be a part of this. But it seems like he might be the part of it, you know?
4: Yeah, Yeah, I I, think it's – go ahead, Joe.
1: I was just going to say, I think setting – Setting up uh, Jonathan Major's character as the big battle Loki season two is just a smart move, considering what the overall plan is moving forward, that this could really be something to tell this this history of the TVA, and then also work it in a new direction, because maybe the first time around, he didn't have people that were on to him actively investigating him. And so it could send it in new, unique directions, but ultimately, I think tying in a, a Jonathan Majors played character is the right way to go. And I think that this perfectly sets that up and and just that that uh chemistry that that we see between Loki and um and uh, uh Mobius's character, I I'd forgotten how much I missed it. And and seeing that in this yeah. was fantastic. And then as part of my my um uh preparation for recording this I'd went back and watched that um, season finale of Loki again, and man, it made me just want to. As soon as it was over, it made me just want to restart the whole season because that was one of the gems
4: of phase four's uh Disney Plus outings. So, okay,
1: yeah, I got
5: no, go ahead,
4: yeah. I gotta say that that in-credit scene, it just made me much more excited for, for Loki's season two as well. Um, and it also like assures us that this is going to be a season of, of consequence, it's not going to be you know a standard Disney Plus. Uh, season that just you know is introducing characters or just trying to get you know marvel content out there but it's going to be something that i mean might actually be required viewing for the mcu
5: yeah so at the end of loki season one sylvie kills he who remains all right things get reset Sacred timeline starts to branch off. The multiverse is created. We see the birth of the the rebirth of the multiverse. All right, the TVA is still a thing. So who controls the TVA? Well, it would be the Kang Dynasty. I'm not 100 sure, but I'm guessing the Kang Dynasty at this point is in control of the TVA. That doesn't negate the creation. Of the TVA. The TVA was created by he who remains. And Jonathan Major said that if you kill me, I'll come back. This will all happen over again. So Loki realizing now in this season two. That the Kang dynasty is in control of the TVA might want to find Get some help here. He's, of course, he's trying to get Mobius on his side and show him, but I think he might work with Victor Timely, this variant of Kang, who I believe is Kang the Conqueror, who I believe is he who remains. So he might work with him to take out the Kang dynasty. And I, I'm
1: I'm half with you on that Okay, like, I, I think the latter half of what you're saying is right on I think we are going to see Mobius and Loki Eventually working with Victor Timely But I don't think it's going to be The Kang Dynasty that's in charge of the TVA Just because the TVA's whole purpose Is to maintain this one singular timeline Whereas the Kang Dynasty's whole thing Is they're about not having a singular timeline They're about protecting the multiverse Whereas the the TVA is actively opposed to that, unless unless they're going to spin it so this new version of the TVA is act is like doing the exact opposite of what they were doing in the first season of Loki, right? Yeah. Which is possible. Have the one who remains anymore? Yeah, he who remains isn't there. And also, when Loki first runs up on Mobius and that that other agent. They're talking to each other in a confused way about they don't understand what they just keep saying he they don't understand what he wants them to do with these different timelines. And that's when Loki runs up and starts spilling the beans on everything you've seen and then comes to find out Mobius doesn't even recognize who he is. But I think that that stuff that Mobius and that agent were talking about when he walked up could be shedding light on on the fact that maybe it is the Kang dynasty that's in charge now and they're doing things to preserve these different timelines instead of pruning them we'll have to wait and see it could go either way though
5: no that's a good point another theory that i heard that is interesting is that the kang kang the conqueror that we saw get sucked into into that vortex has already made his presence known as and has infiltrated the three Kangs. so one of those three Kangs could be that kang the conqueror in disguise i don't know if i'm buying that one or not
2: yeah, that feels a little too like too stretched out.
1: Yeah, I I'd rather each one of those kangs that we saw at the end be their own unique entity that, that can be dealt with in different ways in the yeah. in the movies leading up to Secret Wars.
5: I'll tell you one thing about Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania is that it I think it's I think for his – I had some fun watching the movie, but I think the most fun is the theorizing for the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars and other projects that are coming up. And that's always been the fun part of the MCU. Like, if the movies didn't really hit, you, there were still things that you could talk about in upcoming projects, right? Like, this gets me excited for Loki Season 2. This gets me excited for the Kang Dynasty. This gets me excited for Shang-Chi 2 and, and Secret Wars. So... I mean, I guess that's a positive. I just kind of want it to come together in a satisfying way. And that's what I'm the most worried about at this point. And, you know, gosh, this is the second lowest rated. It might even be tied with Eternals. Last time I checked, it was at 47 percent from the critics. And that's what the Eternals score was. It might end up right on par with the Eternals for the critics score. So I think that's that's a little
1: unfair. Yeah, I think it's still at 47% too. Uh, audience score is still at 84 from the looks of it.
6: This, this is a better film than Thor The Dark World though. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you, yeah, but,
2: I, I yeah, but
4: we shouldn't be having – I wouldn't we... even say it's one of the worst films. It just wasn't a great film.
6: No, I'm yeah, it's, it's, it's still – in,
1: uh, Yeah, it's still yeah. firmly middle of the pack MCU to me. This isn't anywhere near Thor The Dark World. Yeah. I, I personally think that this was a more enjoyable movie than, than Thor Love and Thunder. Um. Yeah, yeah uh, and, and also finally, Rotten Tomatoes finally reloaded It is 47% still on the tomato And still 84 audience score
5: Yeah, I didn't leave this movie, like, angry But I didn't leave this movie Feeling like I left, like, you know The theater after watching You know Civil War or Oh god, like, you know, Shang-Chi or something like that I just didn't it just wasn't as satisfying as other Marvel movies, but I mean, there's some. I mean, there's some good that you can take out of this movie. You know, Jonathan Majors' performance is great. It makes me definitely want to see more Kang. I still love Paul Rudd in the role of Ant Man. I think we all agree there. But, oh yeah. You know, it, it it did have its problems. I. I and I think Kevin Feige's eyes are kind of open to this. This is something I've been saying on the podcast for a long time before a lot of other people were saying it, talking about Marvel fatigue and, and getting too many things all at once that it's, a, that it's a lot. And I mean, there's something to that when you've got the head of Marvel Studios coming out and saying, we're going to, you know, put the brakes on it a little bit, you know?
1: Agreed. I, I think they've taken stock of, of audience reaction to stuff and they're saying, Hey, we need to l- limit our output and and start to fall back on less is more. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Let's they should get back to giving us no more than two properties a year again, yeah. in my opinion. And then that'll also solve the problem with the Disney Plus shows. One of the biggest problems with the Disney Plus shows, to me, has been the the CGI is just not as good as the movies. And then mm-hmm. after hearing what the VFX community had to say of what it's like working with Marvel. It would be very beneficial for them to slow this shit down, give us yeah. Disney Plus series with the same level of CGI and quality that that we've come to expect out of these Marvel properties, and it's just gonna make them that much better.
4: Yeah. I think I don't think we be- give uh Marvel um execs enough credit because they're a bunch of comic nerds and geeks just like us. And they also, you know, they're they're sensible people and they also know all the feedback. They know what we're saying about these movies. Um, it's just that this is such a long developmental timeline. Like, you know, this movie was put together years ago. And so I feel that like, you know, sometimes you feel like they're out of touch because, you know, they're putting out too much and we don't agree with it or whatever. But they're aware that they're putting out too much. Like they know that it's time to pump the brakes. They hear what we're saying about all this stuff.
5: What's wild is this movie was supposed to come out after the Marvels originally. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, i be really
6: curious, too, if the Disney Plus kind of goes back to what the original Netflix strategy was, because we've heard Bob Iger recently. I think you talked about this, Brian, with some of the losses on Disney Plus. Talk about how they kind of have to control spending. And the easiest way to do that is to reduce the need for cgi and the easiest way to do that is to have your marvel series be more street level yeah so you could see them still doing like three shows a year but it's daredevil cross your fingers echo and one other then why
5: am i hearing that nova is going to be a disney plus series
6: Yeah. Well, is it special presentation or is No. It series? I don't
5: know where they left it. No, the last I can't I can't remember who the leaker was. I think No, it was thwipped. It was thwipped yeah. saying it's not going to be a special presentation. It's going to be a series. And So, I'm going to go ahead. I'm sorry. I was hoping it was going to be a movie.
6: Nova should be a movie. Nova should go be out a on movie. LM. You could probably pull it off as a TV show if it's like The Last Starfighter with Sam Alexander instead of the I forget who the main character is, but it's mostly Earth-based. In yeah, the, instead of Richard Ryder. Right. Exactly.
5: Anyway. Let's talk about some future teases. These are uh these are leakers on uh on uh Twitter. And My Time to Shine Hello dropped some big news today saying Tom Holland signed his new huge deal in secret. Tom Holland to lead in Kang Dynasty. Let's go. And then also Spider-Man 4 will come out before Secret Wars.
1: Yes. Oh, nice. So, So I I mean, obviously they're going to have to do something in this next Spider-Man movie to really mature Peter up quite a bit. If he's going to be taking in a leadership role. And I think that they've set the stage for that nicely with no way home that now, if he's out on his own, it really sets up a character development arc where we're going to see Peter grow up quite a bit. He doesn't have May to lean back on anymore. He doesn't have any of his support system. He's purely on his own. And what better way to make somebody grow up overnight than to just throw them out on the streets on their own. No happy Hogan, no iron spider suit. It's just yep. back to basics, man. It is absolutely back to basics. And I think through that, he's going to learn self-reliance, and he's also going to learn uh, a, a stronger level of self-confidence. He's gone through loss. He's he's made incredibly mature decisions at this point, far Far beyond that of what somebody his age would be asked to make, and so I just think that character-wise, they've got him in a very good place to maneuver him into the lead. And and really, he was he was Tony Stark's pick, so who better to be the next leader of the Avengers if it could somehow work out between? And really, that could be setting up some really funny stuff because Anthony Mackey's not going to be remembering anything about who Peter or who Spider-Man actually is, but he's probably going to remember getting his ass handed to him by him. In <laughs> that battle at the airport in Germany. Who is Correct. who
5: is the leader of the Avengers at this point? Like, we don't know. Is it. There's not one, right? Really. I mean, is it. Could it be Doctor Strange? Could it be Captain Marvel? Could it be Anthony Mackie Falcon? I mean, you know, Captain America? Like, who is it at this point?
1: Or would it be one of the originals that's still left? I mean, because Hawkeye is still kind of around, Banner's still kind of around. Uh, if that. The one thing I
5: worry about Hawkeye is the real-life injury of Jeremy Renner, if if, if it's going to make Agreed. it possible for him to even show up.
6: Agreed. It feels like Carol is the most logical choice, doesn't it? Who? Yeah. Captain Marvel. Carol Danvers.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels it, it could, but... I mean, something goes back to the, the... So the original leaders, without question, would have been Cap and Tony. And so would it be their picks to be the next one? So would it be anthony mackey's cap and would it be spider-man
5: being the next ones I, I don't know i always felt like even in like the the you know the first three phases that it was always cap you know that it was always even though the, well, e- even when they split i felt like even when they came back together that it was always cap
1: yeah well and tony even says that no he's in charge i just pay for everything
5: right
4: yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's except I think for it's a salaries apparently right <laughs> Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be, um, Anthony Mackie, um, Sam Wilson. Um, I mean, he's basically like the vice president that, you know, stepping into the role. Yeah. Well, um, Captain
1: America said like, you're the guy.
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's the one carrying the shield.
5: Yeah. 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 That's exciting.
1: (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. I want to see. Yeah. I just, I'm so excited
5: to see like more like, um, of uh, of him with flying around with the wings and using the shield, you know? Me too. Yes. So. Me
4: too. Oh yeah. yeah, seen him with like movie level special effects. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And do we start to
6: see the Avengers come together in Cap 4? Cuz a lot has to happen. I mean, we've seen we've been introduced to so many freaking characters. Yeah. I, I like it's it's interesting just to think
4: about who the Avengers even are cuz it can't be all of them. Yeah. Oh no. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, I think th- I think you're going to see some. Uh, we're going to have a better understanding of what comprises the Avengers, and I think in Captain America, um, Civil War. But like I at the end, give us-
5: at the end of Shang Chi, we see kind of like a, a council talking to Wong, right. Wong, and it, it's 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 you know Captain America is not there. It's 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 Ms Mar. It's a uh, um, Captain Marvel and uh, Bruce Banner, and who is the other one? I Feel like there's uh, three- Rocket.
1: Oh, it's uh was Rocket one of them? No, no, wasn't Rocket, Rocket wasn't there. It was Carol was there, just, just as going. like a oh, hologram. Bruce. Yeah, yeah. And Bruce was there in person. Was there another hologram? I feel like Bruce was all. I think feel like they were all there as a hologram.
5: At the end of Shang-Chi.
1: Okay. All I remember of that for sure is, is is Bruce turning to Shang-Chi and saying, like, welcome to the circus or something like that. So in a way, he's kind of telling him, hey, you're part of this bigger thing now. We're going to be yeah. leaning on you.
5: Yeah. Right. All right. If you guys didn't like some of our thoughts on uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania I'm going to take the heat off of us and read an email that I got from one of our listeners, uh, Sean Tully, and I think he's in Australia. He says, hey, mate, we've talked on Twitter lately about our thoughts and disappointment with Marvel. I'm completely with you in your thoughts on Ant-Man 3, but I would honestly toss the film. As you said, the only decent thing in this film is Jonathan Majors, but that just isn't enough. This film was horribly written and could have been so much better. Why did they not make the Quantum Realm something completely unique that we never have seen before? Instead, it just seemed like they just recycled all this shit set design from Boba Fett, threw in some character design from the Loki series, and rushed the whole concept. The film could have opened with the scene of Janet helping Kang fix his ship, which happens as the reveal halfway through the film. Just imagine how the film could have then moved forward if that was the opening. This alone would have skipped the first hour of Janet refusing to tell them. Uh, okay, hold on. I think uh, refusing to tell them. Sorry, guys, I lost my place here. Refusing to tell them anything about her past, and we could have just gotten on with the film, uh, on with a better film. God. This is just the first issue with a long list of issues that makes this my first MCU film I toss. Uh it made me not even care about the post credit scene which was nearly comical and I had to leave the theater after that fuck hanging around for the final scene. Jesus Christ what a garbage film. <laughs> I'm I'm do- I'm done with Marvel which is sad to say. I'll be going to see Guardians as I have full faith in James Gunn and actually Really, I'm looking forward to what he does with DC, but I won't be watching any more of this shit. It feels like they just want to stitch these stories together to continue the dopamine hit to keep us coming back for the next installment, never giving us a great film in the now and pushing the arrival of a young Avengers film or series, which I couldn't give two fucks about. Not to mention the tedious Disney Plus shows, which in my eyes have just been a cash grab and have have had done nothing but diminish my love of everything in the Infinity Saga, uh, bring on Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. I say Marvel can go eat a dick. <laughs> oh, Jesus, don't. <laughs> so he liked it. <laughs> don't.
6: When,
5: don't wonder st- what he
6: thought about Cassie.
5: <laughs> yeah. Je- <laughs> P.S. I, I,
6: pa- Ca- P.S. <laughs> Cassie
5: could die. Cassie.
1: <laughs> so I Sean, I'm going to be devil's advocate here and, and say I disagree with what he said about the, the the quantum realm looking like something we've seen before or something out of Boba Fett. Like I, I think the quantum realm looked very unique in this and other than the inside of the Sarlacc, I, I don't know what in Boba Fett looked like any sort of the what we are getting in, in Quantum Unless he's specifically referring to they both look like they were shot in the volume. Yeah. But otherwise, I didn't think anything in Boba Fett looked like this. But I, lo- You know what, Sean? I love your fucking passion, man.
4: I love your passion. <laughs> Never yeah, stop. I just have to say that uh, I, I mean, I, I couldn't toss this movie just because of the fact that I, th- I think a lot of the disappointment is coming from people being upset that it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to, that it didn't turn into a great film, that it didn't have more consequences. It's like. It's not a bad movie. It's just a movie that didn't live up to our expectations, in my opinion.
7: I I agree. I mean,
4: Marvel has created,
6: like, a Pixar level of quality, Pixar a few years ago. And unfortunately, I grade Marvel on a curve to their detriment. Yes. It's it's just the reality. I can't help it, you know? If if Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania came out in 2002, I'd be like, holy shit, this is the best comic movie ever made. You know, but Marvel's just... Raise the bar, and when they go under that bar, it's just noticeable.
4: Yeah, and unfortunately, that's my point: is that if this movie came out, if this movie came out in Phase Two, I think we would think of it very highly. Yeah, Yeah. we would have
1: loved it. Yeah, and I, I I think that's really valid. I I think post Endgame, people are expecting a certain amount of of heart and consequence in these movies, and this didn't have very much of either. This was very very much run-of-the-mill for an Ant-Man movie where it's just kind of a fun time, not really that consequential, good popcorn movie, but not anything consequential like, you know, like Civil War. Yeah, or, Civil or, War or is End the Game perfect
5: or, example. It's the third Captain America movie. This is the third Ant-Man movie. And thir- and and that Captain America movie,
1: like, raised the bar. I mean... Yeah, it, it did, but they also genuinely recognize that movie as avengers 2.5 which which this is certainly not anything right. like that even even if 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 the 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 director was talking about that they wanted this to be an avengers level type movie it's like maybe an avengers level villain but this certainly wasn't an avengers level movie by any means I On see, any yeah. level i mean yeah. it's 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 still just core characters to the ant-man story the only ones that are in this but I, I feel like no way home got there
6: and it was it didn't have to be a big battle at the end of the movie. You know, it wasn't like Spider-Man and all the high school kids bum rushing Green Goblin. It was a very personal fight at the Statue of Liberty, you know, but it had so much weight to it. Just given the story that we had seen up to that point so far, it kind of falls apart, Greg, I guess,
5: with like the whole liberating of the quantum realm people. And it's like, who cares?
1: No, that is a good point because they didn't do much to to flush out those characters or give you any sort of meaningful connection with them other than these are oppressed people who who are who are dealing with the consequences of this this world that Janet left them in by doing what she did even though she was kind of in a no win situation to do it but I agree they didn't do much to really make you care about those characters otherwise or you know beyond just hey they're in this situation let's care about their situation But we're not really caring about specific characters. Can we
5: leave out the whole Kang the Conqueror part of it, like him conquering the quantum realm? Can we leave that out and just have a more personal story (laughs) with someone who they find out is like once they get out, they're going to just go through and just destroy worlds? And I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like what this movie could have done differently. I don't know.
2: They I, I feel like Kang didn't need to be the big bad like he could even have been more of an ominous presence and give it more of the Modoc, you know? But I don't know. Like, oh, no, what-
5: nah, less Modoc. Come on.
6: <laughs> I I love Modoc and I really wasn't nuts about this Modoc.
5: Yeah, this Modoc didn't work for me. I was kinda hoping they could just left the whole Darren Cross out of it, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking like, you know, I wanted Kang in this movie. I wanted more Kang. I just didn't know if we had to have it leading to like this big, huge battle with, you know, these Kang bots and ants. And maybe it could have been a more personal type of fight at the end, like the personal fight that we got at the end of Civil War, where it was basically... Cap versus Tony and Bucky, and then you know, then then we had like the the other you know uh, Zemo versus Black Panther at the at the end. I don't know. It just it that it just felt m- much more personal at the end of that movie. And I don't know if I needed all the maybe the I don't know. I I, I don't know, guys. I don't know how to fix this. The,
6: those fights, the story earned it. Yeah, you know, it was it was earned by the story. And this one again, it it, it was you. You know, you gave me a raw deal. I mean, was Scott even a hero up until the end? Because Scott was just pissed off that he got he got a, he, he was just trying to save his daughter. You know what I mean?
7: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, he literally said this isn't he... our fight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think mostly you guys are just suffering from under the weight of expectations that you're oh. going into this, wanting it to be. a a consequential movie and it just ended up not it just it was it was just another ant-man movie and i think the only way they could have made this more consequential was to change the writing in the first half to endear us more to a character that eventually we're going to lose at the culmination of the third act whether it is hank pym or if it's going to be janet making an ultimate sacrifice or i mean as much as i love paul Rudd and i wouldn't want to see him go the the most consequential death would have been him actually sacrificing himself and they still want to have his character and guess what multiverse time guys you could still bring a different version of him in um but but ultimately it was when i thought about this at the end i was like i'm kind of okay with it not having consequence because it still just feels like an ant man movie i'm looking the other ones for me were just a good time i'm
5: looking forward (laughs) to the
6: the guys
1: for god's sake
5: I'm looking forward to the Baskin <laughs> Robbins version getting his own Disney Plus show, though. So, uh, <laughs> twenty four episodes. Twenty four episodes. <laughs> they're gonna give him six more than the Daredevil series.
1: Yeah. thirty one. One for each flavor. <laughs>
5: I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not like I love Sean's passion in the email, but I'm not gonna bail on Marvel. Yeah, like it, it's going to be a it's it, it has to be a slew of movies before I bail on Marvel. And I'm really ready for James Gunn to start his DC universe. And hopefully those movies start to, you know, uh, get, get a lot of steam and a lot of, uh, you know, box office dollars. And that'll just make Kevin Feige have to be like, OK, all right, we got to come back swinging.
1: That's right. right. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for, too, is that the DC is going to get on this huge upswing, and it's just going to raise the level of competition, Yeah. and in the end, we're just going to end up with more of these good comic book movies, because we've been starved for good DC movies. There's no reason to not have good DC comic book movies, yeah. and that level of competition, I think, is really what it's going to take to, to bring this into the next gear in this post-Endgame world.
5: Yeah. That is all I have, gentlemen. Any final thoughts before we wrap up our uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania episode? No. That's a no.
1: No. It's, I, I, I think we covered it all.
6: <laughs> all right.
5: I want to thank
1: ga-
6: Go ahead, Greg. I'm not going to be the first or the last to predict this, but I think Wanda's is the key to defeating Kang. I'm just saying it now. Yeah. Huh.
1: I hadn't considered back. that. I mean, she is super powerful.
5: Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, I want to thank you guys. Tristan, thank you so much, man. Appreciate the invite. Absolutely, I love it. Absolutely. Uh, Quentin, thank you. Where can people find you?
2: Yeah, you can uh, find me on The Real Zodiac, where uh, we are doing a bunch of movie reviews right now, getting ready for... All the new hits, if you will, we're doing Scream. Uh, we're gonna be doing John Wick, and that's that's just on our extra stuff. But the real Zodiac, R E E L, uh, we just turned Zodiacs into John Zodiac signs into genres, and uh, we just finished up. By the time you guys are gonna hear this, we just finished up our drama, and we are moving on to action.
5: When are you gonna do porn? The genre. <laughs>
2: That's uh the thirteenth month, <laughs> oh, so that means
5: never. God damn it! <laughs> All right, I tried. Dark. I tried, Greg. I told you I'd ask him.
6: Hey, I just there's never enough time to ask again. So <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> we we'll
1: I wanted to hear Quentin's thoughts on the rise of stepmom porn. <laughs> 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 That's gonna it's be on our Patreon. He's like, how are these ladies getting stuck in these dryers?
6: Quentin, thoughts on Bukaki while we're at it.
5: (laughs) And do you think Janet fucked Kang in the quantum realm? (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right.
7: We're
2: actually going to have Joe's uh, son on that one. No. Yeah, very red faced yeah. the entire
1: time and not so wanting in, to talk. If
6: there were infinite <laughs> versions of Ant Man in that quantum engine, was there one that just decided he was going to beat off in his last moments? The camera pans back, and <laughs> one just pumping away.
5: Uh, speaking of pumping away, handy Greg. <laughs> uh, focusing on the handy part hey, greg yeah where can people find you man
6: i have a youtube channel called amazing home projects with handy greg we do uh home improvement projects and an occasional product review
5: there you go and it's funny it's 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 very funny it's not it, yeah he's saying that you're saying it in the most boring fashion ever but well, when the you...
6: cool idea is that i don't know what i'm doing there you and, go yeah
1: there it go. is this fantastic deadpan humor. Yeah. Like I love watching your videos, dude. They're always such a good laugh. They are great.
5: They are great. Guys, that is all we have. Joe, thank you so much as always, man.
1: Yeah, this was a good one. I was a little nervous going into it because I was like, I think I'm going to be alone in my high – thoughts on this but you know what i stuck to my guns i i didn't cave and be like all right i'm gonna give it a lower rating oh yeah i'm, I'm still firmly at a high taste on this one
5: i had a lot of fun with this movie uh, joe's holding his dick look at me i'm a man yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can't see it but i'm fully helicoptering right now <laughs>
5: joe's like fuck it I-, I banged janet in the
2: quantum realm <laughs> i think earlier he said he'd
1: banged kang I did. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna give me Kang and and like gilf Michelle Pfeiffer? Okay.
6: Right, Joe is stuck in the quantum realm, and he's like a mouth to mouth Kang. Let's go.
4: <laughs> Don't be choosy. <laughs> Put that blue face mask on.
1: It does something for me. <laughs> give it to me Smurf style. <laughs>
5: i think you broke tristan
7: <laughs>
5: all right guys we're gonna wrap this one up all right and until next week we are putting a lid on, a lid on it. it thanks joe yeah thanks for, <laughs> we did that in unison didn't we buddy
1: we were very close. <laughs> in the,
5: in, I, I want to meet the Joe in the in in the Probability Storm that actually fucking finished that outro with me.
4: That's the. <laughs> that's the Joe. That's it's the just one guy. It's, it's one just I remembered. One. Oh yeah, you say should have
1: been too. <laughs> All
4: right,
5: guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers.
1: Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it.
0: Already like seven million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that makes us happy like shooting at a warm bread, but it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps by the poor cool kids it,
3: it, it's a trap
0: toss it good do we love it Hey, let's race it race it let's embrace break the toughpperware party subculture culture spill over like a vulture carryover culture push over top culture leftovers. leftovers. and with the uncool kids what this say has already been said pretty yeah. sure that the only talent is the band that's singing knew that is hot culture leftovers Original and good have already been so we should separate the weed from the chaff. And we're the chaff, The crap. Even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's race it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace it. Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover. Counterculture pushed over. Pop culture leftover. And we're the uncool kids. What to say's already been said. I'm pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture left. It, gonna taste it, do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't embrace it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over. Counterculture pushovers. Pop culture leftovers. leftovers. And uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. Leftovers. leftovers. And sure the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.